Oh, Console Crusade Podcast. Console Crusade Podcast. He's probably screaming in sheer joy right now. Today, Nintendo Direct. After this segment where we all react to finally a great Nintendo Direct. We'll be talking about The Last of Us, for those of you who are watching. Man, it's a good one! EJ Olsen, Nick Durheim, Chris Killifor. This was a banger. I haven't had a good a Nintendo Direct that I went, that was a goddamn good Nintendo Direct in a fucking minute, and this was a good-ass Nintendo Direct. It had something for everyone. It had the memes. It had the, the things people have been crying for. It had a Zelda price increase that they didn't mention, but <laughs> has been rumored. It had everything for everyone. Do we just want to go kind of down chronologically, Nick, and and just hit on all the, the good stuff? Sure. That works for me. Great. So we opened on Pikmin 4. Nick, what do you think about Pikmin 4? What did you see? I commented this when we were talking, but it looks like they're adding a lot of your sort of more typical action-adventure elements, and they've been kind of slowly introducing that into the series since like every iteration. But this one, I mean, they even commented on it when they first revealed it, that they brought the camera in closer. It's more of like a character game, but you still have the RTS kind of Pikmin micromanaging elements to it. But I think, I think it's smart because it does not seem as daunting. It seems more like you have direct control over a character. Like they have that weird little dog that you're riding around on. Uh, it looks really creepy. good. <laughs> it looks great. I mean, yeah, creepy. But we've got four characters. I don't know if they've all been named, but they started with the the weirdo with the, the purple hair. And then they've got a few other fellas and some different uh, screenshots that I'm looking at. But Wait, so is Olimar it looks, dead? It looks really good. Did he die in Pikmin 3? No. Um, you meet him. Yeah, I mean, each game you control more characters. So the first game you're Olimar. The second game you're Olimar and Louie. And Louie's just like a fuckwit. And then in the third game, it's, you know, they do the the ABC sort of naming convention. So it's Alf and I can't remember, like Charlie and Brittany, I think the three are. And then you meet Olimar and that. And there's like a there's like a story thing with Olimar and Louie again. But it's I don't know. I'm not really too like checked into the Pikmin lore. It's just like, oh, it's interesting. You're playing as different characters. And what does that mean for like what what are you what are your end term like long term goals? What are you seeking? They showed some collecting where you got those uh, binoculars, which I love the aesthetic of like the implied nature of the playable characters in Pikmin being these tiny, tiny beings. And then you go to this planet that's got like giant Duracell batteries. Like it's it's sort of implied that you're on Earth. And that has always been kind of just like a cute sort of hallmark of the series. And they keep like hammering on that with this one, which looks like you're in like a park or like someone's backyard. Yeah, like a nursery, like a daycare, like playground, getting the little kids binoculars. Yeah, I mean, God, it looks like charming as hell. I almost wonder if, because it's like, oh, downed explorer. I sort of wonder if like that's the shtick is that you're looking for folks who crash landed and that's kind of the nucleus that each level revolves around. And then, of course, there's like more that you can do a la all of the other Pikmin titles. And Ice Pikmin, we got a new type of Pikmin. You could do some cool shit with it. You freeze a little pond. You could like slow down and freeze enemies like it's a great addition. I've always loved the the sort of um, unlocking nature of getting new types of Pikmin and interacting with the environment in a new way. And I loved also the sort of post trailer stinger where it shows the nighttime with the bull board with the red eyes. And I'm wondering, like, are we going to be playing at nighttime? And it's like 
because in every other game it's been you have a day cycle to do your thing and then you get out and it's sort of like the chaptering the natural sort of progression of the the gameplay loop but if you are able to just wander around at night and it's just more dangerous i think that's like a really cool spin on the 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 franchise you saw the little stars laying around right i was kind of like oh shit like we're gonna get to do nighttime game nighttime gameplay i was like we're gonna be able to like collect those little stars that were like piled up everywhere yeah i wonder what that what that means like what is the push and pull what's the the risk reward that's july july so soon a lot of this stuff is pretty soon uh everything that they gave dates to anyway the thing about pikmin and i've only played the first two pikmin games like well i played the first one emulated and the second one on gamecube but it seems like a game i never played pikmin 3 so so it, i i don't necessarily know how this game has progressed into modern times but with the 3d action elements you know that makes sense like you have to evolve the first pikmin game i don't know how they could have squeezed four games out of that concept if they hadn't started iterating and and bringing in different elements into the formula so mm-hmm. nick you said we should play pikmin 3 so yeah, it's a good ass game. It's um, we didn't swap that out on our top one hundred, right? Pikmin one stayed on. I think Pikmin stuck on there. Same with Luigi's Mansion, even though I think they just are better with a third iteration, but didn't have the enough people had played it. Sure. So then we move right into Xenoblade three, which Nick Xenoblade three did make it out of the top one hundred. Yeah, and I'm super stoked for the story expansion, but they spent most of the time just talking about the more imminent sort of uh, character expansion, which they've already released one of. And that's always just more of a, here's some additional gameplay content. Here's like a new character, some new systems, um, a little roguelike sort of pseudo mode. And like, that's cool if you're actively playing it, but that's not the kind of thing that brings you back in. Whereas last time with the Xenoblade 2 expansion, that was a whole ass new RPG. That was a 40 hour game. That was a game I liked more than Xenoblade 2. So I'm hoping that we get something similar with this story expansion where it's like just a whole ass game and you start over with these uh, different characters because they showed they showed Rex and Shulk and Noah from one, two and three and they're aged up. And it's sort of the implication of being post story content of like what happened with the merging of the worlds and the uh, the outcome of that. And Alvis being this villain sort of archetype character, which he is one of the three parts of the supercomputer that caused this world splitting event to happen. I mean, it's you know, it's just all JRPG sci fi lore that i'm interested in but it's not going to grab you so I, I don't know if that's like anything that you're interested in but it's it's really cool for me i like that i'm curious about the like enemy wave rush mode with the roguelite elements is that going to be like a like this this is like a level based like very grindy game right so is that going to supplement i don't know if it's a i wouldn't say it's very grindy i was way over leveled by the end of the game i should have played the game on hard um, by the time I was actually playing story content, a lot of times I was like 20 levels over the enemies I was fighting. Oh, wow. So the challenge modes are built in because people can break this game in half, like really, really easily. And like sometimes unintentionally. So they've had challenge, like not necessarily roguelike, like randomized elements before, but they've had challenge modes where it's like, oh, you can only play as one character and you have to fight these waves of enemies. So that's just a, it's just a gameplay thing, but it's not, I don't think it's indicative of anything in the future as to if they're going to be leaning towards that as like a mechanic, but it's just a thing to do. I know Chris, you had postulated that you kind of went the final fantasy route and Nick went the Xeno yeah. route and, and these seems like they'd be right up your alley. It does. I own the like definitive edition or whatever uh, of the first game on switch. And I, I started it and put a few hours into it and went, 
systems and then stopped. Uh, I, I just don't think it was the right time. I have to be at this point in my life. I have to be like really ready for a JRPG uh, to know like that's the game I'm going to be playing because if I like set that aside and come back like I've I think I put like 30 or 40 hours into Nino Kuni on switch over like six different like chunks of time and it's almost getting to where like I either need to just like let that be a game I'm going to play or not. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I, I'm sure I would like it. And I think I need to trust like I don't need to engage with a lot of this side questy stuff yet, especially not in one. Oh, really? OK, yeah. Good to know. Good to yeah. know. One has especially weak um, side quests as far as the the actual gameplay content of them. It's got pretty good world building sometimes, but I think it's a better it's better suited playing that game through and like getting to the story stuff and just making sure you're hitting. And it's another thing where the side quests don't reward you a lot as far as XP or gear. So it's a lot less um, incentivized in that game as well. Really? So like, cause you know me, like I'm team side quests like forever because that's how I, as you put it, like break JRPGs in half, like in final fantasy six, like rotating magicite between all my party members so that I just have like, four magic wielding gods that can all just like bomb away with Ultima. So that does, I, that would not serve me in Xenoblade one to like side quest. That's not how I'm going to get over leveled. No damn. Okay. Good to know. I'm not sure if they're like particular cause Xenoblade one, the broken thing about that game is that speed as a stat is like tied to your dodge rate. So what your, <laughs> like your layout for, um, for like, you know, it's instead of like a typical MMO where you have tank, DPS, and heal, they sort of toy with that, but it turns into well, you just DPS race everything because you auto heal outside of combat. So if you just have like a dodge tank and then just two DPS, then you're just facing things and you're just like you just crush them as fast as you can, and that's the way you win. And the way you get experience level up is by fighting enemies that are above your level. Like they just give you an exorbitant amount of experience and anything below your level, you don't get anything. So it's a little bit different. Like the way I played it was probably the wrong way by doing more side quest stuff. And it's weird because they have like the time of day and there are certain yeah. people that are only around during a time of day. So you have to like do the annoying thing where you go to a place and then you do the, the skip time to get to the time where they're around. And it's a little bit fiddly, but I think it's a really cool sort of uh, systems-based game from 2011, I think, was when that came out on the Wii. It's, so. it's old. It's very old. Yeah, so you kind of have to go into it expecting it to be like a 2011-ass uh, JRPG. You know, something that is going to be a theme of, of this Direct is Nintendo is clearly posturing for their next investors meeting. And so a lot of these DLCs are like, buy the DLC pack now You'll get a whole bunch of nothing for the first three to six months, but then the story DLC is coming. They did that with Splatoon and Fire Emblem and Xenoblade, and it's kind of been their mo. I mean, that's what they did with the the first like Breath of the Wild, right? They had the Champions Ballad as like the big final DLC six months after the game came out, but the initial DLC was just like a little challenge thing. You know, it's more gameplay focused than they do story focused. I understand that it's like we gotta show that we're doing something but it's not ready to 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 be released yet but i just it grinds me up like fire emblem even that like that first expansion or, or the dlc like expansion pass launches with the game and it's like oh you know spend 
$30 or whatever, you're not going to get new content really for a year or more. And they gate a bunch of characters that you want, you're interested in behind it. So you're like, it's not worth $30. The story might be. Didn't they do that with Awakening also, where they had like DLC paralogs, where if you bought them, then you could just like grind them out and do repeatable content and just like power your way through the game. They did. There was one particular paralog. People complained about that. And it's just waifu simulator anyway. So I was going to say like Fire Emblem has just become like every single fucking game in this series now is just let's get every other fucking character from every other fucking game into every single game because everybody just wants their fucking Fire Emblem characters and everything now. Like it's like what it's the same thing that we were like talking about smash like oh I wonder which fucking obscure ass Fire Emblem character they're going to smash into the fighter passes now like. That's just what Fire Emblem is, is like there's the game and then you wait and you shell out the $30 to get all your fucking dudes from all the fucking old ones. And like, it's just, it's it's gross to me. Like, it's gross to me. Same thing with Splatoon. Like, we're going back to the first city. Like, tell me that you've ported the same game twice to two different consoles without telling me. Like, oh, that's your DLC (laughs) is we're going to take you back to a thing we've already built and is functionally using the same fucking engine. And it's just a aesthetic a coat of paint on the the hub. Like it's literally not functionally different. Yeah, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? It's it's troubling. It is troubling to me. That was like the one major negative thread, EJ, that you just pointed out that ran through all this is all of this like useless fucking expansion pass DLC because somebody at Nintendo was like, well, we're ten years behind the industry. A lot of people do these expansion passes, and they're doing stuff that like the rest of the industry moved on from in like. 2018 no price too great people will pay nobody's doing this anymore nick was making fun of me earlier and i said it i'm a fucking mark and all nintendo fans are fucking marks we're the reason nintendo does fucked up dumb backwards old shit but they still make goddamn good games so let's move on to Samba de Amigo, which is a game I did not know existed. <laughs> Who had the... You didn't know Samba de Amigo? That's like classic no. classic Sega, like uh, uh, Dreamcast and Saturn era, like mascot type guy. Yeah, I was like, I did not have this on my like franchises coming back bingo card in a million years. But I was like, that game actually looks kind of fun. Like, that looks like kind of a fun time. Dude, it's like Wii Sports meets like a like a like a iPad rhythm game. I don't know. Rhythm games are not my thing despite having drafted Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line in our fucking fantasy critic league, okay? And in the Whammy League? Uh, I didn't draft it in both. That would have been crazy. Did you not? They really hedging the bets there. <laughs> I Samba seems like a nothing, but it's weird that Sega's bringing back like their B and C tier franchises. I just hope we get into Choo Choo Rocket. That'd be sick. Yeah. I'd be on board for that. What I don't know this. What is that? Choo Choo Rocket is a sort of puzzle game where it's like a a deterministic path of a like a rat. Well, you're playing as mice and there's this like weird robot cat, I think. And you're trying to get the mice into a rocket for them to escape the cat. And it's one of those things where you know exactly where the cat is going to go. So you have to pre-plan your route. So, yeah, it's a lot like tile based routing games that you could play. like a lot of the like the spider-man hacking mini game or uh you know like where's my water it's a lot it's a lot like that but with just a really nice like 2000s uh sega vibe it was a dreamcast and a game boy advance game and i think they even had it on like nokia phones back yeah. in the day too yeah after some of the amigo we got fashion dreamer and i would have skipped over this normally however just last month the day fire emblem released i was I was back home. I was with my buddy Brandon. We were just hanging out. 
And he looks over to me and says, hey, my fiance wants to play a game with a high level of character customization. I said, well, that's really broad. What do you mean character customization? Like, there are a million RPGs where you can customize your character endlessly. And he said, like, aesthetically, a game, like, she really loves how, you know, in Pokemon, how you can change your your appearance and, like, you know, go to all the different stores. I'm like, okay. So we say customized character. You want to play Animal Crossing and just decorate your house and, like, buy new clothes every day? This is a game that I would have otherwise made fun of, thinking, who is this for? Well, I now know somebody who who it's for. Apparently, there's a market for that, and we got it at, like, number four in this Nintendo Direct, so... Not for us. I was just saying that it, the aesthetically, the UI is identical to Animal Crossing. <laughs> they just lifted it straight up. One for one. Which, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's, yeah. it's just funny seeing the inspirations that devs take. After this, we got Dead Cells, the Castlevania crossover, which, Nick, you were shocked that they were selling this DLC. Has all the DLC been free before? I want to say it has been. I mean, I, I don't remember. I'm, I'm not like as plugged into that. I can look it up. Yeah, the fact that they really went out of their way to say this new paid DLC, I was kind of like, oh, this must be, this may be a first. I could be totally wrong. I, I'm, I'm looking it up and I think Fatal Falls was also a paid DLC. I think that was the last one. Dead Cells is so good. I have not played the DLCs, but we've you know, mentioned before how well these review in the league on Open Critic every year that they drop. Just absurdly well. And this is Castlevania. People love Castlevania. It will be done in a uh, game and by some developers that make really good Metroidvania roguelites. It's got to be fucking good. Nick, you remarked that this is going to be the best Castlevania game in 20 years. Right. And you said it's not too difficult. I mean, the only competition is like the DS and uh, Game Boy Advance ones. But I think people will still like this more than that. Yeah, big facts, big facts. This will be the start of the renaissance for Castlevania. Konami would love that. Nick, you want to get us through the uh, the next few here? I don't know what, what if any of these stood out to you as being interesting. Ghost Trick is super interesting coming back from the DS and being yes. stuck on iPhone like 4 or 5, whatever they ported that to. That was like a very well-liked sort of visual novel detective puzzle game that Capcom was doing back in the day. And it was strikingly good looking back on the DS. And I don't think it's really translated too super well. It's kind of got that world ends with you problem where you can't just blow them up and make it look just as good as it did back then. Chris, what did you think of uh, ghost trick? That seems like a game that you have are familiar with. Well, it's, I, it's a game I've always wanted to play. And that's just been on my radar since like 2010 that I was like ghost trick fan mm-hmm. of detective. Like I would love to play this game, but I, I'm not really buying, like I'm not buying DS games. You know what I mean? And so right, I, right. I was like, oh shit. I was like, I put it in my notes. I was like, oh, ghost trick. Look, I've wanted to play that. If that's 20 bucks, I'll buy that. And I believe it's prohibitively expensive on the DS as well. It's a hundred dollars. Yeah. It's a cult classic. It, I mean, as I said in the trailer, like you, you sort of like inhabit objects and you can change the course of events by like inhabiting the right thing and affecting the scenario in the right way. And it's just like super fucking stylish. The soundtrack's amazing. Like it's just, it's just cool. Yeah. It's like a, it's just a weird adventure game. You are this guy who dies and you're a ghost and then you have to like solve these problems by possessing things and like doing adventure game shit, but bite size because it's a DS game. And like Chris said, full of style, like a this dude with this huge hair and he just, <laughs> the cover is hilarious. Look at the box art. It's Yu Yu Hakusho. show with big old brains instead of big old hand swords hand swords yeah don't the spirit sword i just remember the spirit gun i love 
that show. Just as a quick aside, I love that show. Same creator also as Hunter Hunter, which I think is like probably the best shonen I've ever seen. Which is like not I've, oh, I've wow. seen a fuckload of shonen and Hunter Hunter is amazing. Uh, same fucking creator. I only started watching Yu Haku show for the first time like last year. Um, Bro, have you finished it? No, I only watched the first season and I, I was really gripped at the first couple of episodes. And then it just sort of becomes like your typical. It's a fighting anime. Exactly. It's it's the same battle anime arc as every other battle anime I've ever watched. And and without the nostalgia, it's harder for me to watch those older shows. But I appreciated it. And it's like, it's crazy how many guys in the industry are still voice acting 25, 30 years later. And I'm like, oh my Chris God. Chris Sabat. <laughs> well, obviously. I mean, he's the GOAT. <laughs> well, get through, uh, get through the dark tournament. Get through the get through the dark tournament for me at least like that. That's I think the strongest the show gets. T- Tiffany just watched it in the last couple of years and thought that it it got better into season three and season four. And I'm like, yeah, I remember it like pretty fondly. But the dark tournament is like what people remember from the show, and it's a great, it's a fantastic arc. It spills into season into season two. Very cool. Yeah, I um I, I'm like right before that point. But anyway, after Ghost Trick, I mean they're kind of doing back and forth east west sort of double a indie sort of level of games going from dead cells to ghost trick and then to tron identity which is another um, bithel games sort of uh story heavy adventure game kind of kind of vibe more visual novel i would i would say that's a whammy league candidate right there (laughs) is that (laughs) what i said that game looks fucking (laughs) terrible (laughs) while we were watching i don't know how how poorly any of those other games reviewed like what john wick hex was their last game and uh that cannot have reviewed well or at all i mean it was like a it was like a um tactics game so gosh if that does anything for it yeah that was a 75 so i mean like not great not terrible um then uh level five showing up in a big way this direct they showed a new game called deca police which is like a rpg detective game playing as a cop ej thought it said decap police (laughs) and then was making a cab police uh, jokes as well, you know, it's a thousand times, percent. But uh, <laughs> Splatoon three got their a little bit of expansion pass stuff shown off with the ink return to Inkopolis for just choosing your hub area, which is like fine, but it shouldn't be paid for. I don't oh think. Oh my just god, it's not really adding too much, but like it, it was weird for them to show that and not like a real substantial thing. Like, why would you advertise this thing and be like, okay, this is what you're gonna be paying money for, and then show. Like a fun add-on, but not like fun? the core of what you're paying for. I don't know. Yeah, it's nice to like go back. I mean, that's like that's EJ. A lot of people were super happy at the end of Mario Odyssey going back and it being like Mario 64 and being Peach's Castle. Like that's a fun thing to go back to an old game. And Splatoon One is an old game. That game came out almost ten years ago. <laughs> Sorry, when you say fun, I thought you were referring to the uh, slideshow we saw uh, from MS Paint about the story DLC. No, they should have they should have shown more substantial like actual content of gameplay. That was just like a weird I don't know why they would show a fun add-on and then a teaser for the real thing and like that be your pitch. Like they should have just not shown anything. Yeah, I don't cuz people will buy it because they're idiots and they're like, "Oh my god, I can change my hub area. Like I paid money for the expansion pass because of the promise of content." They'll buy it, but no one that wasn't going to buy it is now buying it as well. Oh, I'm big yeah. facts. Like my eyes glazed right the fuck over as soon as I was like, "Seriously?" You're not the audience. You're never going to buy Splatoon anyway. But 3 <laughs> minutes, like you said, Nick, 3 minutes of us going, "You can change your hub area." And that's the first part of the 
expansion pass. Like, come the fuck on. Like, that's a joke. Yeah. I was shocked when they were showing it to us. I was like, because they mentioned Salmon Run is here. I'm like, wait, are they going to introduce like new maps for these modes with the return to Inkopolis? No, no, it's just a hub. No it's shot. just a new hub. They'll add new weapons. Like, you'll be able to interact with the the game in a different way, but they won't change. They won't add different maps. They'll just add new weapons and uh, new single player stuff, which is personally what I want. That's the only thing I would want from a, a like an online multiplayer game. Like I'm, I don't don't hold maps behind a paywall because that sucks. That's, that's bullshit. Right. Talking about the story DLC content and this weird, I almost got this like breath of the wild vibe. You're pushing in on the back of a character and there's some atmospheric thing. The leaves are blowing in the, the music. There's no and color. Like, I was like, this is like an art student in college putting together like a shitty. <laughs> like, this is awful. And Nintendo <laughs> loves to do this for, for showing off new games. There was nothing interesting or compelling about this trailer. Or not even a trailer. It's a teaser. But you're not showing us anything. What are you teasing? There's no date. There's like, there's nothing. What are, what are they trying to tell us? Like. That it exists. We already knew it exists. It was really weird. I mean, even they do like these tone pieces and I'm not opposed to them. Like the Octo expansion one was awesome. It had like a new song and it was like a banger ass song and like it showed off gameplay. It showed what you're going to be doing, what your goal was as this different character. But this was just nothing. So we're going to move on. Okay. Can we talk about Mickey Mouse? Don't skip over Mickey Mouse. I would never dream of skipping over Mickey for you. (laughs) That looks kind of good. Like I knew it was going to be for Chris. I'm not going to buy it, but I was like, oh, like that looks kind of interesting. Like I could play this with my wife. Like that's, that's where the brain space I was in. As far as like cheap sort of tie in, uh, property games. I think it looks a lot better than what we used to get as far as the like, uh, paper doll flash animation style tie-in games that we would get throughout the past 10 years i mean i I think the bar has raised a lot more it's not going to be suddenly you know an 8 out of 10 but it's definitely looks a lot better than what we used to get and it looked like it was running really smoothly like the animation was smooth which to me was like oh like they're not asking a lot of a console like the switch which for me all of a sudden since fucking pokemon is just like i have to give a shit about like is this game going to perform well or is it going to be an absolute nightmare to play? And that looked like it was running really well. Yeah, it doesn't look phoned in. It looks like it's for the casuals slash the kids and not for the hardcore capital G gamers with a podcast. But I don't think it looks bad by any means. Capital G. The trailer was basically just explaining to the audience like what what platformers platformer are. <laughs> Yeah, like you can jump from platform to platform and you have a a super jump. What do you call this kind of game? This ad was cut not for this (laughs) direct. It was made for like, you know, playing as a pre-roll for some bluey short on YouTube or whatever. Right. This will end up in the top like 36 uh, switch sellers, you know, $15 shovelware with Mickey Mouse in it. Oh, man. I thought maybe it was free to play. I don't, I don't even know if they sell it. But will it be good? It'd be Wii U good, but not Switch good. EJ, tell me about the Fire Emblem Engage expansion. Okay. I mentioned it earlier about how they, they released this DLC pass, and in the whole the whole like bit surrounding Engage is that like all the old characters are here. And I will say that mechanically, I love how the idea of these rings imbued with the power of characters who have existed in this world before 
uh, and they all have their own unique mechanics depending on who's wearing the ring. That's a great fucking mechanic as far as like strategy gameplay. It's really not handled well in the story. Literally, like your bond conversations with these characters are like two sentences long, and it's just generic bullshit. That's half the fun of these games is like building your support, depending on with like who you fight with and 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 alongside. So that's handled kind of poorly. And they gated all of these new characters uh, or the most recent characters from Three Houses behind this expensive DLC on day one. And so now they come out and they say, oh, there's more emblem characters, which might be interesting for someone starting the game. But again, like like you, like you said about Xenoblade, this isn't going to get me to replay Fire Emblem Engage in three months when a couple of new characters come out. It's just not that interesting to me. At least it's out today, but it's it is... How much do they cost? I don't know individually. It's all, as far as I know, it's like a, it's a $35 DLC pack. You have to buy the expansion pack. Like you have to have the pass. And it's almost like Mm. EJ, I know that you're talking about like, oh, this mechanic is good, except that it sucks. Like both of those sentences basically just came out of your mouth at the same time. So like, no, he said the mechanic is good. It's just not implemented well in the story, which is, you know, the same. That is not a good mechanic. Like if they like lean into the shtick in future Fire Emblem games, I'm not going to be that stoked. But they also don't really make a habit of bringing shticks back. Like, the the partner mechanic in Awakening is fucking awesome, and they never did it again. And then Three Houses, everybody loved how you had this huge, you know, splitting narrative with these distinct storylines. Like if you played any one of the three paths, you played a completely different game after your first 20 hours than, than your friends who chose a different path. Like, they are drastically different. And it's hundreds of hours of gameplay. So there are two types of Fire Emblem fans, I think. You have the people, like me, who primarily care about the tactics, but love when the world and the characters can like enrich that experience. And in Awakening, I love how they tie all of that back into the mechanics. Like That's like chef's kiss. When you can really make it all work, awesome. But for me, Engage is just a great fucking Fire Emblem game. It's all about streamlining and optimizing the turn-based mechanics to give you like engaging and difficult combat. That's what I'm here for primarily. So yeah, the mechanic of the emblem rings and getting these old characters and that their, their unique move sets and abilities that you can like imbue into other characters permanently, they're all unique to those characters. And so that's like a fun little Easter egg. If you know the characters and it's really good variety that meaningfully impacts the tactics, for those who don't care about the characters. But if you're a Three Houses fan or a visual novel fan or a, just a typical weeboo who just wants anime-ass anime shit, like, yeah, you're not getting a very deep, you know, run with these characters and you're not getting a very compelling story. It just does what it does, which is most Fire Emblem games. So I don't think it's cheap by any means unless they really lean into this in the future. If they, But again, they don't bring shticks back. They, each game kind of has its thing, and that's what it does, and then they find the next shtick, which is kind of like Pokemon. We don't bring back shticks from Pokemon. It's always some new bullshit. They get big now. They get crystals on their head. They evolve into some different form. It's always a new bit, and it's always worse than the last one, and they never do it again. So as far as the DLC goes, whatever. Some people are going to be happy to collect all their characters. It's not for me. I don't like this idea, like we said, of showing a bunch of like nothing and then saying, but wait, there's more there, you know, and and then it's just a title screen. Did you ever play the story DLC content from three houses, the uh, Ashen wolves? I did not chapters, but 
everybody, like my brother did, Brandon played it. Did they play the game in like whole cloth later than when it came out? No, they both played it at launch and then they went back for the story DLC and they had very positive things to say about it. So I have hope that Fel Xenolog is going to be a robust, you know, reason to come back to the game. These DLC waves with a couple of characters, there's there's no reason to to dip my toes back in. Yeah, it seems like here's more for while you're playing it, but it's I think it's tough also just for the way we play games and like what is interesting us at a time. I don't think we're the type of people that really go back to games unless it was a game that we never finished, you know? Right. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. But anyway, that's my Fire Emblem rant. <laughs> Love it. We got a new Don't Nod game. They're the folks that do the uh, Life is Strange games, or did. I don't know if they're really doing them anymore. They've sort of been branching off. This is a, like a visual novel sort of game. Interesting art style, I think. I think they actually made that look uh, compelling, but not the genre that I'm into, so I cannot provide any insight into that. Uh, Chris, did you have any any interest in, in Harmony, The Fall of Reverie? You know, uh, kind of. I looked at it and went, oh, this could be this could be interesting or this could be total shovelware. Don't not like the fact that it's, it's a don't not joint definitely got my attention. Not the greatest track record, but they have, they have made bangers that people like a lot. It's kind of like platinum, but for stories. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping, I, I mean, I, it is possible like league potential, shall we say, where I'm like, th- that could be a worthwhile pickup or it could be a total fucking stinker. I wasn't really sure what to make of it, but it did. It piqued my interest a little bit. Moving on. We also have more demos that uh, are dropping today. A lot of demos coming out today. Honestly, Octopath 2, uh, Sea of Stars. <laughs> I want to talk about the demo thing. This is like the uh, the second major strain that's sort of like counter to this. The first thing we talked about of like, expansion passes on Nintendo games fucking suck until like the very last pass, the very last thing where they're sort of buying time while they finish the DLC that we actually want. Um, that is ass incarnate, but they have demos for so much shit and I love this. I love yes. the movement towards like free to try. Like I think I've said this on this podcast before. I don't, well, maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't, but do you remember the Ouya? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I pre-ordered oh, yeah. that. I fucking oh, pre-ordered the Ouya and had like so what was such that, an professor? interesting. I made a mistake. I still own it. I think as far as I know, the servers are shut down, but I loved the the concept behind it, which was and I love their you like the corpse of an Ouya. I love their fuck you energy. I do. It's in a box yeah. in my grandma's attic. Um <laughs> Uh, I loved the the energy that they had, which was like, fuck you. We're going to have our own like counter E3, like across the street from E3, basically. We're like everything that's on this console is going to be free to try. You will get to try everything that's on here before you have to pay money for the full version so that you know if it's worth buying or not. And it kind of feels like they're moving in that direction uh, with a lot of these Switch titles. We're like, well, like five, six different games. Like you could play a demo for this right now and your progress will carry over and we want you to be able to see is this a thing you want to play because we believe if you try it you're you're going to want to buy it and i just i love it i love that they're moving this direction and i hope they do more of it yeah it's totally consumer friendly and i think i have to give square enix props because they have had a streak of demos i think every 
pretty much every major title they've released in the past five years have had a pretty chunky demo, like three to five hours to start the game and like really get your hands on it, get your head wrapped around it. And I think that's awesome. And they take the feedback from the demo and they utilize that into improving the end game. So it feels like they're listening. It feels like uh, the fan base um, is being heard. And I think that ends up improving the games. I mean, they can't know everything about what the people want. And then once they know, then they can use that to their advantage. So it's a win-win. Uh, EJ, are you going to play that Sea of Stars demo? You're commenting on how good that game looks. And I think it looks yeah, fantastic. It looks so good. Big uh, visual cross-code sort of vibes. That SNES plus that uh, GBA you know, 2D GBA, but with like uh, with a resolution, you know, it has like the movement of those SNES RPGs, but it looks like Golden Sun to me. I know the Game Boy is just yeah. like the Super Nintendo, but it has its own thing going on. Well, the GBA is a little bit more like the PS1 and a lot of its yeah. uh, design philosophies in, in RPGs. Like, yeah, you know, like Golden Sun, especially with the, the combat sequences, is very much a PS1 JRPG. I mentioned probably on the last podcast or maybe during our top 100 that I'm not really a huge fan of turn-based RPGs. It's It's a game that I play maybe one of a year. And I have to kind of be in the mood for it. And, you know, again, I either want an action game or I want like turn-based tactics, which is is quite different totally than, than, you know, a, a typical JRPG. So, but every once in a while, it, it, you know, strikes the right chord. This just looks great. And I have the added like incentive. I drafted this game because I thought it looked great and I want it to be great. So yeah, I I was not let down by what they showed, and it did get a release date, August 29th. They did not announce that, I don't think, in the direct, but they tweeted it I out remember. afterward. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's great. Hopefully, it's coming. These this is the same dev team that did the Messenger, which was an early, critically acclaimed indie on the Switch. That was that 2018. 20, yeah, 18 or 19. It was around there. Had to have been either late 17 or early 18 in in my mind, but. Yeah, and it's set in the same universe, so it's it's interesting that they're going away from doing because the messenger was like an action platformer, and now they're doing a turn based RPG. So it's 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 interesting that they're not only staying in the same universe and continuity, but like swinging to a completely different genre. I love when uh, indie studios do that. They're making what they want to make, which generally bodes well. Yeah, I love that. Like Steam World does that too, where they have a bunch of different games in the franchise, but they're all different genres. I think it's really um, exploratory and unique and interesting. More devs should do that. I like how we're saving Chris's Metroid excitement. We've had to just tamper him down for the last 45 <laughs> minutes. In. And just, he's got to go off. Masterfully edging me. Um, can I get a couple like quick hits of games that are like Chris bait that I don't think we need to talk about just to knock yes. them out now. Okay. So I love it. Like, we were joking about like the Disney one, and I like I said like I was like oh like Tiffany I might play this game with Tiffany like we're not gonna play that game together but I had the thought and so like you, you know I got it um, Octopath Traveler two like I'm so excited for this game I loved the first one I put like eighty or ninety hours into it it looks beautiful it sounds beautiful this likes mo- this looks like more of the same fucking I'm in count me in I'm done and I learned my lesson last time I will level all eight of the fucking party members equally. So I don't get screwed in the end game like I did with the first game. Or they just fix that because that's a big problem. It wouldn't have been a problem if I planned for it because I think that all the, the eight classes all brought something interesting enough to the table that like you can have two fully functioning parties. Uh, I just would have needed to plan for it. And I didn't. Um, 
So that's a thing. Can't wait for that to come out. The Etrian Odyssey collection, some like cut from the same cloth of like the Fantasy Star, like those early Fantasy Star games with the like moving through dungeon mechanics, like would definitely consider picking that up. I played played a little Fantasy Star, liked what I played. And uh, Bot and Kaitos, like those are games that like me as a kid, like wanted to have the money to be able to play because they looked so cool. And now they're like, hey, here's a like, you know, here's here's a collection of of the first two ones on the GameCube. I'm like, great. Like, absolutely something I would consider buying if they had a physical edition. I really wonder what they're doing to those games to make them more playable in the current day. Nothing. Did you see the trailer? Nothing. I, I didn't see enough gameplay. You know, if they have like fast forward, that helps. If they have stuff that lets you keep cards from like deteriorating and like whatever weird like sp- skill spikes or like difficulty spikes they have in the game that anything that um like square has done with their reissues of like final fantasies and uh chrono cross and that kind of stuff to speed things along you know turn off enemy damage turn off random encounters that kind of thing i don't know how much of um baton kaidos is bogged down by that but you have to imagine it's got to be some i mean it was a gamecube rpg i i just can't imagine they're going to be going back and doing anything to these games other than putting it out at a higher resolution the assets won't be the higher resolution but you know this is also the same company that's putting out tales of uh, symphonia the ps2 version on everything it's kind of a bummer about the tales of symphonia game because it the ps3 version yeah was a build of a playstation port and supposedly they've lost the code to the original gamecube version so they can't ever put out like a proper faithful you know, as far as a port goes, they could remake the game. And then the PlayStation game, like, is a more complete version, like, content-wise. But, you know, it doesn't run as well. And so, anyway, it's, what do you want out of a remake kind of thing? Or a, a, a remaster or a port or sure. I mean, whatever. What are they charging? I think that puts a lot of expectation into uh, what you're getting. Was it 80 for the triple pack? <laughs> On Steam, it was 80 for the Etrian Odyssey collection. $80? That's too much. So that's why they specifically went out of their way to say you could buy all three of these games individually on the Nintendo Switch eShop. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. $80. Probably like, they're probably like 30. I would say 30 individually than 80 because you'd save $10. That's a hard <laughs> pass. That's not enough game for that cost. No fucking way. And then Baton Kaidos, I would guess, would be 60 for the two games. Dude, the Etrian Odyssey games do have like a massive cult following oh, yeah. on DS yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And Atlas fans are unhinged. They do truly. I like though that the option is there to buy the game separately. Like if you don't want to buy, you know, number two, you can buy one and three, and it's you know it's more consumer friendly. But they're going to be overpriced. Uh, and as we'll touch on at the end of the video or at the end of the, the uh, direct, Nintendo is raising prices of their prestige experiences, so they're trending in that direction. We got a few more little things. They showed a little bit more of the Kirby Dreamland additional content, the Magalord Deluxe or whatever. <laughs> Magalord <laughs> epilogue. <laughs> what an unfortunate name in 2020. Yeah, not good. Uh, Advance Wars got a date. It's coming out in April. I thought that would be like prime candidate for Shadow Drop. I mean, there's no reason not to just put the damn thing out. Just put it out. Nope. This Ukraine thing isn't ending anytime soon. Nintendo's like, fuck it. War happens. They should have never even delayed it. I mean, 
who is like, I can't believe Nintendo was selling a, a war game with these cartoon children. No, it's not at that. this time of strife. <laughs> that game wasn't yeah. ready. That game wasn't fucking ready to go. No, I mean, they delayed it three months and it was done then. And then they delayed it what, another year. No, I don't think it was done. I think I think that they took advantage of the opportunity to push a product that would have been bad because looking at it, I was kind of like, really? Like I had major skepticism, even if it had released. And uh, a year's a long fucking time. Someone played that game last year. Someone got a like an accidental download from the eShop and they played through the game. I don't think that's going to be the game that is played when it comes out in August, but I'm glad it has a date. I'll be buying it. One of the big things from this Direct was the addition of the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance to the Switch Online. Woo! Uh, really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Dude, I was way more excited about this than I, I should have been. Especially because, like, I've got my analog pocket and my EverDrives. But finally, you know, Nintendo finally making these games accessible. And and I want to say, in the 15 minutes between when we watched this and when we re- started recording, I jumped in. I started playing. There are palette swaps, depending on the, the version of the game. There are screen effects, depending on which Game Boy you were playing on. And it, they're really decent effects so i'm sitting here playing mario land 2 six golden coins on that oled and yeah. it, i was like this is fucking great game boy games are they're just so great and they've never really had a great platform to to experience them on nick you said earlier when we weren't recording that they came to the wii u but weren't they only playable on the gamepad wasn't yes. that the stipulation I, no i don't think so um they they did several options also on the ds games where i think you could play uh the, those games um, on virtual console, both on one screen, or you could have just the bottom screen on the gamepad and the top screen on the TV. They did some fun stuff with the DS in particular, but Game Boy, I remember playing on both or Game Boy Advance. Um, Game Boy was also available on 3DS as part of the Ambassador program. They had Game Boy Advance games, but they never sold Game yeah. Boy Advance games on 3DS. I had just, it because you know, I bought the 3DS at launch, and then when they cut prices Chris, six our months later. Mark. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this? But I still, on my 3DS, every single 3DS, I could still download all of these games. Every 3DS I've ever owned has Metroid Fusion, Yoshi's Island, and WarioWare on it. That's cool. Like, I... I but now it's on the Switch! Yeah, and some really, really good included titles. I know EJ was like, he was laughing along a little bit about stuff like Gargoyle's Quest, but Gargoyle's Quest is a damn good game. That's a fantastic, like, Metroidvania-esque game based on a villain from Ghosts and Goblins. Like, it's just this weird sort of uh, Capcom spinoff. But it's got Mario Land 2, Tetris, Link's Awakening DX, Gargoyle's Quest, like I said, Game & Watch Gallery 3. I'm not sure which games that has, but I love the Game & Watch Galleries. Um, Alone in the Dark, which is like one of those weird niche Game Boy games that people actually really like. I, I am familiar with the franchise because it was like the first survival horror game. It's what Resident Evil was like totally aping when that first came out but it's just this historic franchise that had a game boy port which name how many of those there are i just i love all of those i think they're so interesting from a historical perspective and now we get a chance to play them metroid 2 wireland 3 and kirby's dreamland like that's just a a great list of game boy games and forthcoming they showed us that this is a real we're getting the oracles games we're getting pokemon trading card game we're getting uh what was kirby tilt and tumble kirby tilt tumble i was like man i can't believe it like 
That's a great game. They're they're definitely gonna use the gyro for that too, and it's gonna be awesome. I'm really absolutely. But I think it's notable that they're not adding they're not adding Pokemon because they've already said that they're putting Stadium, and that game is completely neutered without the ability to import your team from the mainline Game Boy Pokemon games. I think. I think it's not outside the realm of possibility for there to be a Pokemon Direct because Pokemon does like to do their own things because they are their own brand. They are their own thing outside of Nintendo and they are bigger than Nintendo in a lot of ways. I think it's possible for them to say, hey, later this summer, we're going to be adding Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2. And as alongside that, we're adding Pokemon Red, Blue and Yellow and you're able to import your games across them. And that's just part of the marketing strategy for whatever Pokemon's got coming up with their DLC plans for Sword and Shield or not Sword and Shield, but Scarlet and Violet. And whatever like spinoff games they do this year, if they do another mobile title, if they do a remake slash remaster that EJ might be excited about, like another Let's Go. I mean, I think those those things are still all on the table, but it's just it's it's weird that we saw a Pokemon trading card game and not a quote unquote real Pokemon game when those were the biggest games on the Game Boy. It's frustrating that Nintendo does this. The I remember when the, the NES was announced and like the absolute fucking dregs released on that platform. And it was just like, dude, Nintendo NES is tougher. There's a lot more licensing issues, but as you get into super Nintendo and N64, especially, and now with game boy, there should be a hundred goddamn games available. I hate this idea that we can't overwhelm consumers and we have to trickle things out. You know, this slow and steady thing because we want to keep incentivizing people through the year to come and, and you know, join our expansion pack, this arcane fucking system. Pros and cons. I mean, I don't want to be the Nintendo defender, but I mean, if they did drop just a hundred games, there's no way you're gonna be playing all of them. I don't care. I mean, I have, there should be more. I have every ROM, but yeah, it it would be nice if there was more. They 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 started very slim. I think that's like about ten games, and they showed four or five that's coming out. And we haven't even got to the Game Boy Advance. There's some like really cool GBA! niche Game Boy Advance games with Kuru Kuru Kururin. And like Mario Kart, which I'm not super into, but they showed that, you know, hey, you can do the online. Oh, we're playing the first super time circuit. that we're actually doing online that has individual we're screens because super the Game Boy Advance had individual screens. I don't know if I'm playing Super Circuit with you. I'm sorry. It's the worst Mario Kart. <laughs> and that's including Mario Kart oh, come on the on. SNES. It's come awful. On. It's terrible. What Mario Kart is it better than, Chris? Just for the lulls. Oh, it's better than none of them. I don't give a fuck, though. Like playing Mario Kart <laughs> with the boys. Okay, that's fair. We also have it. We have Mario Kart 8. They just got another fucking batch of courses coming out. <laughs> like The Game Boy Advance is really funny with it not having a real Mario game that had like four of the Mario Advance games that are just ports of like <laughs> yeah, All-Stars all- versions of the NES games. So now we have like five different ways to play Mario 3. They're all out of order too. Like Mario, Fo- Mario Advance 4 is Mario 3. Mario Advance 3 is Yoshi's Island, which is Super Mario World 2. Like it's all like it's just it's worse than Final Fantasy naming conventions. It's terrible. It's hilarious. We get WarioWare, we get Mario Kart, we get Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, which is a great ass RPG, and we get Minish Cap. And in the future, oh. we've got Metroid Fusion, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, Fire Emblem, F Zero, and Golden Sun. Oh, Minish Cap! Oh, one of the best 2D Zelda experiences. Like criminally underrated as far as like 2D Zelda goes. It's a great fucking game. Yeah, underrated, underplayed, and yeah, I mean, obviously the rollout isn't my favorite, but it's it is just nice to pick these games up and play them again. And it's like. I don't know. It's something about the it's it's both a curated selection and also the kind of weird shit that you would only play at like a neighbor's house with the the weird Euro trash like what uh, 
clay the clay game that Chris has affinity for because of course he does claymates <laughs> Not clay fighter but claymates like we were poor <laughs> we got what games we got <laughs> which you know Nintendo they're really pitching the pennies with their licensing like no we cannot get a Square Enix game but we can get some Jalico and some JBL games or whatever <laughs> we move on EJ what else okay I want to preface this Chris, can I just play your voice memos to me in the podcast right here as a way to preface what we're about to talk about? Can I just whole cloth? EJ, I wish you would because I to. cannot I cannot yell like that in this apartment or my downstairs neighbors <laughs> okay. are going to bang on the ceiling and be like, what the fuck is that guy doing up there? Tears were shed. Tears were shed, my friend. Can't fucking believe it's here. It's literally here. It's fucking stealth drop. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and then I literally only need to piss and plug in my computer and crack a beer open. I'm not going to unpack my stuff, which believe me, it's like literally, literally the thought of that is giving me hives. Like I'm very fucking routine oriented because otherwise I forget shit because my brain is riddled with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put that aside for the sake of us getting these takes while they are the hottest. Where's the second one of me screaming? Where's the second one of me like screaming my head off? <laughs> oh no, that was uh, that was live. I called you. And that was live of me like screaming. Oh yeah, you called. Yeah, I have three voice memos in a row, and before I can even listen to them, you call me, and you're just like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> what do we get, Chris? Metroid Prime Remaster. It's real, and not only is it real, we got the stealth digital drop today, right now. You can go play that game remastered it looks beautiful it looks like it's running beautiful i love some of the ui changes it looks like silky smooth and dual stick controls dual stick controls ej you could finally play this fucking game you could oh it's finally playable for the first time ever he's not gonna like it i don't care if he likes it or not he can't he can't use the controls as a fucking crutch anymore you have to actually take this game on its merits it's on the top 100 i have to play it. he's gonna have to play it it's in the top 10 Oh my fucking god, I can't fucking believe it. I can't fu- oh I mean I can't believe it because he's been talking about it for so long. It's like this has to be this has to be a smoke and fire thing, right? And then there it is. There it is. And they gave it a meaty section where they not only were like it was when they put it in the like headlines, I went, Oh boy, is this gonna be like a really shoddy like remaster effort? But no, they gave the full ass download because this is an old fucking game. This is an old franchise at this point. Like there are people who know that Metroid Prime 4 is coming who maybe we're like three years old when Metroid Prime 1 came out. You know what I mean? So a full download on all the systems, a look at some of the different ways you can interact with the world. Fuck, oh, God damn it. It looks so good. And a physical edition too. I'd love to buy it tonight and play it digitally, but I have to have that game on my shelf. Yeah, I was going to ask you, are, are you going to be able to hold off or are you just going to be dropped? Are you going to be buying it twice? Double dip. Show your support. No, I can't. I can't. I literally can't afford to spend eighty dollars to spend forty dollars on that game twice. But I'm I'm waiting. How for much the you spend on that tattoo, Chris? That was a different the tattoos time. forever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I paid. I paid. You know, whatever I paid for it in that moment. I honestly got don't remember a couple hundred bucks. Um, but that's like mathed out like per day over the course of my whole fucking life. Like that's a much different. I like, know. I'm just asking whether or not you're a real fan or if you're just putting. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. No, I've only got I only have I only have missile ammunition tattooed on my right fucking wrist and energy tanks. Both of these like the prime graphics, not the like 2D Metroid graphics on my fucking shoulder and Samus's whole ass helmet with the paw print of my cat whose name's Samus 
on my right bicep. I just like fake fan. I, fake fan. I just like it. Big, big, total fake. You're compensating fan. for something. Fake ass fan. Fake ass fan. No, but I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about like in, in a matter of weeks, 14 days, literally two weeks, 14 days on my shelf on the Nintendo switch. I will be able to have playable versions on a current home console of three of my five favorite games that have ever been made. Like my shelf has got Mega Man X on it. I can play it in two different places on the Nintendo switch. My shelf has star Wars Knights of the Old Republic on Nintendo switch on it. And now my shelf is going to have a Metroid prime remaster. Like I, I literally, what more can I ask shelf for? Runneth over. <laughs> My shelf runneth all the way over. Like, it okay, just... let me ask you, looking at the trailer, is this a ground up? It's not a ground up, and it's not just um, new assets. It seems like they've up, like overhauled the rendering engine. The lighting is a lot more dynamic. Like, just look at the screenshot I shared. Like, the GameCube did not look like that, right? Um, the environments are much more detailed, but, I mean, it is uh, probably mostly the same polygons underneath but it's just over it's just a probably an engine pour i would imagine and if they do that then i think if they do the work on this depending on if they were working off of the gamecube version or the wii version and what was all different about that there's there's a chance that they can do two and three in the same oh the same level absolutely and i think they will and i don't know why they wouldn't like especially for two well i know why they wouldn't because nintendo is weird and they only put galaxy out in that collection and they haven't done galaxy 2 i mean there's precedent for them just doing one of a franchise yeah, that's not a trilogy and, though i mean if this sells like buku but it won't because metroid and metroid is a limited sort of has a, has a ceiling you know and that's fine and they know that it's it's more of a a play on nostalgia and like the uh, critics and having this like big tent pole sort of important games, but they're not necessarily sales juggernauts sort of bouncing out the Pokemon end of the spectrum. Right. And we deserve to have a way to play this game that isn't either a GameCube, which I don't even know that I would want to go back to at this point or uh, a really, I don't want to say limited availability, but like fairly expensive, especially on the resale market trilogy collection, which is still on like, two console generations ago and you have to use as EJ put it the fucking Wiimote in order to play it. So like, no, we deserve this. Like everyone deserves this. Like if we will get the second two, that would be, that would be really awesome. I would love to have two and three and have the whole trilogy, but I just, uh, I'm, I'm being realistic and I'm not expecting it at all. <laughs> I expect nothing, but I've learned to expect nothing uh, when being a Metroid fan. So when we do get like, when we do get things like this where they're like, we, we know how good this game is. We know how important this game is. We want you to have a way to play this game that doesn't suck. Yeah, we, we can make some money off of it, but they're not going to make a ton of money. So like, I know that that's a part of, of the calculus here. And God damn it. I'm so excited to play this game as a twin six shooter and to like experience it fresh. And I'm just going to be like a fucking blubbering mess on the couch. It'll be like a two day thing because I... I, I could hundred percent this game with no guides. I've been able to do that for years. So like instead of going to take that you're long, gonna, you're going to be sitting in front of your TV in two weeks and you're going to hear the title screen music and you're just going to sit there for like 10 minutes and soak it in. I am. I'm going to be emotional. And when I get to Fendrana drifts for the first time, that's when like the waterworks are really going to roll. Cause that's just such a special moment in my heart of like, you get out of Magmore Caverns, you know, the freeway of Talon four that's like got like nothing of merit on its own in it. <laughs> 
<laughs> just space pirates fucking you. And up. you step out onto the snow and just this like beautiful, soft, like ambient electronic music starts playing. And you see like the shadow of Ridley's wings, like going over the top of the ice. And I went, what is this? Like, and it's a, my first Metroid game. And that's like one of the most like core memories for me. Yeah. Yeah. That was the moment where it felt like you're on a planet. You weren't just like going from room to room. Yeah. That's going to oh, be man. awesome. I wonder what they're going to what they're going to charge for the physical version and if they're only going to be selling it on their shop and if it's going to be a similar scenario to the Xenoblade fiasco which was having people ripping their hair out trying to order these limited edition physical copies and uh hopefully they get that ironed out. 40 bucks for this digitally though. I think that's like a totally great reasonable price. I think that's how much they charged Wind Waker on Wii U. Yeah, I'm assuming it'll be the same. Nah, they're probably charge 50 for the physical. Or probably a full 60. Um, here's the thing. I really do not like how Nintendo has really been for years been doing this like limited physical release thing, limited digital release, even like the Fire Emblem, uh, like 30th anniversary edition dropped on the eShop for a few months and then disappeared forever. The, the Mario 3D collection was a limited physical release. And it's so frustrating because like the Switch is... I mean, depending on if, and this is a conversation we can have at the end here, like, you know, maybe we get a Switch successor next year. It's less likely to be a Switch 2 and more to just be, you know, another iterative upgrade to the current generation. But, like, this Direct, while it had a lot of awesome things for a lot of different people, there was nothing major about it. You know, it's it's kind of like, we're nearing the end of this life cycle. But depending on whether that's next year or the year after, the Switch is maybe going to be the best-selling console of all time? Like, it ha- it could be in that conversation. Yeah, if it goes till 25, I mean, that that is a total possibility. In and what world on- are we needing to make timed, limited releases as an incentive for people to buy the game? That's insane. Mario Kart 8 has sold, like, fucking 55 million units. You do not need to do a limited release of Mario games. That's so fucking stupid. So anyway, that's it's frustrating to see that happen. Yeah, and I just wonder if they're even going to actually sell them through retailers or if they'll just sell them on their online store, which they've shown that they are capable of, but also they still have some kinks to iron out. I mean, I think all of the major platforms are trying to uh, get that pipeline in place. I know that Sony has sold a lot of their PS5s through their online shop. And, uh, you know, it's it's if they're capable of it, then I don't see a reason why they shouldn't like try it. Obviously, they want to keep as much of that profit to themselves. We talked about this in the group chat uh, last week. Like we were talking about the idea that like digital games are the same price as physical games. And I don't know why anyone would buy digital, even though digital is, you know, becoming or, you know, it surpassed physical sales. It's like, well, why wouldn't a company just cut the cost of their digital goods and make the physical goods more expensive? Because it costs them more to produce. If you're trying to get people into your ecosystem and you brought up a point like, why would they charge less for the thing that costs less? Like they can make this a bigger margin on, you know, the same thing. But the idea is to get everyone into their ecosystem, like you just said. Nintendo can sell these things themselves. Why? Why do they need Best Buy? Maybe there's an argument to be made about it's just accessibility. Like more people can walk into a Walmart and buy your game than have to like order it online. For sure, and they also get the guarantee of Best Buy ordering a set quantity, and then they they just track the shipments. So they don't have to do like. It's a sure. lot of, you know, logistics of shipping things to people. And I don't think they want to hire on a workforce if they are just getting that for whatever the margin is that they're 
making off of sales to Best Buy. Like they're selling it at cost, like whatever, 50 bucks a copy of a game. It's interesting to see that push and pull though of like, we want to sell certain things ourselves and we want people to enter into this digital economy. We don't want them necessarily buying a physical copy of the game because it's just more, but they also, you know, there's that old argument about they need retailers happy because that's how they sell hardware. And I think that's a dumb argument because like retailers are dying. They're fucking going extinct left and right. And another 10 years, Best Buy won't fucking exist. Historically, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird conversation. And you see sometimes they're, they're trying to push people over here and sometimes they're doing things that clearly is at odds with them trying to pull them into their own ecosystem. So I don't know. But if this is a limited release only available to like NSO members, God, that'd be fucking awful. Yeah, and we don't know what the what the what that would be looking like. I think they would be totally fine with just selling it on digitally. Currently, the website for uh, has a it has a physical option on Nintendo's online storefront on the Metroid Prime Remastered page that just says coming in February 2023. And there's nothing that I can find anywhere about like pre-order information with other retailers. So this is right. going to be like a five times a day check that specific ass fucking website kind of situation for me to try and get a physical copy of this yeah i'll try to keep you clued in i'm, I'm pretty terminally online so i can uh <laughs> if i get any tips i'll let you know <laughs> appreciate it um we just got a few more like weeaboo games before we got the big uh the big big one as big as you want to say but uh yeah rain code they showed a little bit of that gameplay um i don't know if anyone here is interested in playing it i know uh Chris, you picked that up for the for the league, as did you in the in the group chat league. Um, and I have Correct. regrets. I have big fucking regrets. Um, not to like telegraph a possible drop, but I was looking at this one. Oh, this looks like a bad Persona ripoff. I was like, this does not look good to me at all. Yeah, to me, it just looks like more Danganronpa, which is what the creator is from, and those games historically review really well. So I don't really have a gauge on the the gameplay sort of tendencies and whether or not that matches up what people are expecting and want from the the creator of that series. Um, the Bot and Kaidos remasters, which you mentioned earlier, Chris. Um, I don't know if I will ever play these games, but it's cool <laughs> that they're coming back. Good for good for Bandai Namco and good for the you know that's an it's a monolith soft game, so it's you know from the same legacy as the Xenogear, Xenosaga, Xenoblade creators. So bully for them. Something I was actually pretty pumped on was the new fantasy life because Lindsay was super into that game on 3ds so it's really great that they're bringing back that game there's like a pretty large sort of community around that that game on 3ds so i'm happy for level five coming coming back with that it seems like they've been on the rocks as far as a developer and nino kuni and having like weird spinoffs on mobile that has like cryptocurrency microtransactions and that kind of stuff and putting out these yokai games that nobody gives a shit about anymore and it's good to see them go back to something that was successful for them and seems like captures a similar vibe and essence that the old game did. All right, guys, how do you want to do this? I have an angry Zelda rant in me. Do you guys want to have a fun conversation about what you like about that before I just absolutely unload here? I will just say I will. I have a very just short sort of uh, response to the trailer in general, um, I was at the hospital last night again and uh, oh, fuck. I was just, you know, waiting in the waiting room and just past the time I was listening to podcasts, that kind of thing. And they were talking about the direct that was coming out today 
and they're saying, you know, I really want them to show a exciting uh, Tears of the Kingdom trailer, something like we got in January of 2017. And I remember that trailer and how emotionally invested I was watching that trailer. And I was like, I should go back and watch that again. Like, I haven't watched it since I watched it back then. And I watched it. And it got me in the feels like it was such a good trailer. The music is so good that they put it in Smash Bros, even though it's not in the game. It showed gameplay. It showed why you're invested in this world. And it got you extremely excited and ready to shell out any amount of money for Breath of the Wild. And for me, it was $360 because I bought the Switch and that game. And a $70 Pro Controller because there's no way I was going to play that on Joy-Cons. And this trailer was just fine. And I think that's that does not meet expectations. It was just, you know, here's some of the things that you're going to be doing. It showed your abilities with the arm, like cool, but it was not, it didn't have that bombast. It didn't have the score that's going to be memorable for decades to come. It was just mediocre at best. Uh, I'm going to agree. Um, I, I have literally five words written for my notes here. and That's Ganondorf vehicles, more runic powers. Like, I don't, I don't know what the fucking point of this was. Like, if they're just going to like, EJ looks like he's about literally going to go Vesuvius on this game. And like, it still looks, it still looks enjoyable. But also if my first impression of a trailer as somebody who loathes with every fiber of my fucking being dubbed anime, the very first impression that you're going to give me of this game, the last impression we're probably going to get of this game before it releases in May is a fucking god awful piece of voice acting which i gather is ganondorf that's what he's going to fucking sound like is this like c-list anime villain bullshit i was like god damn what a way to start this and then nothing that we saw for the rest of it made me feel anything other than i hope that this game is 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 good because it it you're sure not inspiring confidence with this trailer yeah, and that first trailer did have that. It did have the, you know, C-tier anime dub problem, but it was forgivable because everything else was so important feeling. And this trailer does not show a game that is the sequel to one of the most important video games of all time. No, it's schlocky. And it looks schlocky. Yeah, it was just a little bit weak. I mean, I have no doubts that this game is going to mechanically feel better than Breath of the Wild. It's probably going to be as fun as breath of the wild, but it won't be as important. And that's a little bit depressing, but it's, it's hard to have those shoes to fill, but I don't know. They could have done a better trailer. It was just a bad trailer. I've got three points here. Some of it is directly related to this trailer. Some of it is related to my feelings on the first game, but, but it really is a game that you like (laughs) again that I like (laughs) to remind folks. Yes. Uh, I just don't like the conversation around the game. I don't like the Nintendo sort of blindness that people repeatedly have, whether it's Pokemon or or their their consumer practices or or Zelda, whatever. Like I, I, I dislike that, and that gets me going. At, just as a contrarian, I'm like, let's let's evaluate this the way we evaluate everything else that we like, and not just have this weird like Nintendo soft spot that the industry seems to have. But I agree with what you guys said about this trailer. There is nothing to care about other than a sequel to maybe the greatest game ever is coming out and that it's the longest wait between Zelda games, which again builds this hype of like, Oh my God. Like I saw some YouTuber talking about how, well, 
the world's already there. So what have they spent fucking six years doing? They have to be doing this. And he was making all the speculation about, you know, underground and in the air and dungeons are going to be back and all these things. And again, everything we know about this game is pure speculation. All we know is that shitty vehicles are back. The same four shitty enemy types are back. It's the same world in a game that is only regarded as well as it's regarded because of how you interface with the world and discover things. Great. The world we've been in for a hundred hours. So now what have they spent six years doing? They haven't shown us yet. We will get a direct dedicated to Breath of the Wild or to Tears of the Kingdom sometime in the next two months. And hopefully they show us more. But I am shocked. This is so indicative of Nintendo not really listening to their community. The vo- the bad voice acting. That was like the only real ubiquitous complaint about that game was the voice acting was awful. And that if you're going to introduce voice acting into a franchise like Zelda, you cannot do it like that. Completely disregarded that as a company. But they saw how well Breath of the Wild did. So what are they going to do? We're going to do a Breath of the Wild sequel. The first true sequel to a console Zelda game without seemingly understanding what made that game special. And so they're like, all right, we're just going to paste the same world map, give you a couple of random elements to explore because we acknowledge that it can't just be the same world. But by and large, it looks like it's just going to be more Breath of the Wild. And that is horribly disappointing and completely out of touch. And yeah, this game is going to review well and people are going to like it, but the expectations that this is going to be, it's going to top Breath of the Wild as being what people consider the best game ever, that's insanity. And I, we talked about this briefly when I drafted this fucking game in the podcast league. The weight of expectations, I just don't see how its ceiling is is anywhere close to what Breath of the Wild, both as far as my enjoyment of it, but also like critically. No matter what this game does, people are going to talk themselves into aspects of it because they want to like it. But I just don't, I just do not understand based on what they've shown us what is different about this game? They've had six years. It's the same enemies. It's the same powers. It's, I, I just, I don't understand. And, and it, it makes me, it, it's just, this is just so in line with my thoughts on Nintendo in general. And they always do this. And here we said that like, this is finally a good direct and, and it's just, it's been a lot of negativity. It's a good direct in the sense that there was just a lot of things that people have asked for and there was stuff for everybody. It wasn't just a bunch of like bad visual novel and like children games. But there's there's really nothing major. And the only thing they had to do to knock this direct out of the park was give us some goddamn Zelda. And that was an extremely disappointing way to end in the direct, like you guys said. I, I really have no hope for this game personally. I know it's going to do well critically. I don't think it'll be a you know, 96 or 95. What does it have on Open Critic? I mean, it's not going to do that well. Either that or this is just really is. Maybe this is the let's go effect. Chris, we talked about it. When we saw Let's Go, we were just fucking gobsmacked. There's no way this is going to be... This is fucking shovelware with Pikachu in it. And it ended up being, as you said, the second best Pokemon game of all time. So maybe this is just Nintendo typically bad with its messaging. But I am concerned. I am on threat level midnight. Not that bad. Odyssey had had one of the most hyped trailers in E3 2017. I mean, that Breath of the Wild trailer in January was amazing. So they are capable of doing these really impressive and important feeling trailers, which I mean, we're just talking about trailers. We're not talking about the aspects of the game. I mean, I'm not. I think the game looks good. I think the game is going to be as good or better than the first game. 
And they did show a couple of different enemies, but they didn't highlight them in a way that makes them feel like this is what we want you to see. I, I don't know what the message of this trailer was. It was just more of what we've seen before. This is the third trailer we've gotten for this game. And they've all been the same. There's nothing different about each one. There should be like a progression, a story in the marketing to lead up to this game to make us all feel excited and feel like we need to play this. And they haven't really sold that yet. I think they're just resting on their laurels. And that's a little bit disappointing because I want them to try. I want them to really justify the the point. They're charging $70 for this game. They're not charging $70 for Pikmin. That's $70! still $60. <laughs> this hardware was outdated seven years ago when they put it in the Switch and released it. Have you heard of anti-aliasing? My Windows freaking 98 computer in, uh, could, could anti-alias video games. Okay? How is it possible that it, it's just... It, I can't even articulate my words right now. Chris? Yeah, look, I it's a bad fucking trailer. And I, I think that, as you said, it's because they showed us more of the same shit that I'm still looking at this and going, I don't really get what is going on in this game. I don't get what this game is bringing to the table other than the stuff that I already said, which is that there are a lot more things, it seems like, that you can do, like, runically, which will be interesting mechanics. So, no, it's not all the same runic shit, EJ. It's not. Um Looked like we had at least like one new arrow type, new weapon types. We had to be expected. Yes. And they showed us that. And they also showed us that as again, they've showed us this before. So I'm not like praising them for this. But the the big question is we see there's going to be some kind of like vertical mechanic with like shit in the sky and that there's going to be the, the landscape is presumably going to be changed vertically in some capacity. We still don't really know what that looks like. And that to me is where I'm sitting here going, you've had six years. It looks like it's the same Hyrule. How are you going to meaningfully change that map? And we still don't really know. And so I, I, I'm kind of like, I, I don't want to go spend 280 hours or 300 hours or whatever I did last time exploring this landscape <laughs> again, looking for Korok seeds again, if it's all the fucking same. And we don't know why release this trailer at all, frankly, is the question that I keep circling back exactly. to other than they felt like they had to show something. So they slapdash something together for the one more thing. Like, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it's a failure of the marketing team for sure. I mean, I don't know if it's like they couldn't get the assets from like Nintendo Japan and they didn't have anything new to show. And they're just like, well, we have to show something. I I don't know. I don't know the story behind what they put out. I just know what they did put out was not up to snuff. It's unfortunate that this game releases in, what is it, three months from now? What is it, the, the 8th of February? That everything that we know about this game is essentially speculation. It is, whether it's me <laughs> speculating about how it can't be as good because of, and we've talked about how, again, Breath of the Wild is not a very replayable game because of yeah. how the world is, is such a, a main character in that game. The experience is yes. discovery. And once you've discovered it, you you you, you can't rediscover it. So, so I'm speculating that it's not going to be as good or it's going to be bad because of that. Other people are speculating, well, they've had six years, so they must be doing X, Y, and Z. And they're running with all these crazy theories. The truth is probably in the middle somewhere. There will be new things. You, Chris, you said new runic attack, new arrows. Yeah, it's Zelda. He has new shoes. Link has new shoes. <laughs> Zelda has new shoes. Wow, like, fake yeah. fan, fake fucking fan. There will be things that are different. There are things that will be iterated in some small way. That is not enough to justify a six-year wait uh, as a follow-up to the best game ever. And I say that 
you know, in air quotes, because I don't necessarily think that, but it is regarded as such. Um, Chris is <laughs> discording us right now, literally pre-ordering Metroid Prime, which is available via Best Buy for $40. I'm listening to your beautiful rant, which was beautiful. So, and I liked the second phase where we got into like the price of the game, which again, I agree. And this is one like a rare moment of like Nintendo rage that we kind of align on EJ that there's no fucking reason for this game to be $70 other than greed. It's bullshit. Like you said, it's old fucking tech. You're not like the, the cost of goods and services hasn't gone up that fucking much. Like, come on. I saw people comparing it to like God of War Ragnarok, which is a $70 game. I'm like, it is on hardware that is like seven times more powerful than, than the Nintendo Switch. And people like to say that that doesn't matter to good games. It matters to a good gameplay experience. And wasn't yes. it still 60 on PS4? It was 60 on PS4 for me. It was $60, 70, but also like, no, you're right. Like I played Fallen Order on the, the console that it launched on and had a really, really bad experience with the performance of that game that my friend who just played it on PS5 did not have. And so that is worth $10, but this is still Switch 1.0. What the fuck? It's frustrating that they think that they can sit here and, and I mean, listen, they are competing with the current gen consoles. I mean, they, 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 what are they at? 150 million units sold or something? 140 million. I mean, what, what 120 was, something, 124, 125. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm overestimating, but that's still, it only is beat by what the PS2 and the Wii PS2 and the DS, the DS. Wow. It just yeah, surpassed the Wii. That's long what happened. life cycle. It just surpassed the PS4 and the Game Boy. They surpassed the Wii last year sometime because Wii's at like 100 something. Oh, Christ. Well, anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's there's there's no justification for them to sell it for 70 besides they can. If they were going to, you know, they could have justified that $70 by showing a really good trailer. I think there would be a lot less people like I wouldn't be wringing my hands about it if they showed a trailer that was up to par, but they've got big shoes to fill. I mean, it's poor them. They 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 made one of the best games ever. And they sold 30 million copies of it. And now they're making a sequel and people have expectations. Like I'm not going to apologize for expecting something as good or better than the last game. Why would I expect worse? Why would I be okay with worse? That's a stupid and foolish sort of placement for me as a consumer to be at. So yeah, I'm not happy about the trailer. (laughs) Like I said, we were, but it was still a good direct. (laughs) It was, it was a good direct and it wasn't anything worth shattering. It was just, these little moments of of like, yes, I know who that's for. I know who that's for. And the Game Boy thing, I think, kind of pushed me over the top. I don't know why I'm so excited about it. And I'm so stoked to go back and play Mario Land when I sit in bed tonight. You know? That's um, cute. I love that for you. So, so you know, it's... Uh, despite our rage, yeah, we're, we're overall happy with it. You know, it's it's not indicative necessarily of like, like oh, God, they showed a bad Zelda trailer. Like, Nintendo's losing it. Whatever. Like, we'll, we'll see what they bring on the next Direct. There will be a Direct in, in fucking May or in uh, probably April. <sighs> yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. When's the game come out? May. Oh, for Breath of the Wild? No, they're not going to do a Breath of the Wild. They're not going to do a Tears of the Kingdom Direct. No, we're not going to see more of that. Nope. No. They'll do a launch trailer and that's it. They're not going to do a, they're not going to do a Direct for it. That's insane. I sincerely doubt it. That's insane. A trailer drop would be would be not for nothing, but I, there's no way they do a direct for that like they did. You know, I'll push all their chips in on E3. And what do they need to tell us? It's it's more of Breath of the Wild. They don't need they don't need to expand the audience. It's more expansive than they have ever had it. They're not going to. What do they ever need to tell us? It's more Mario Kart, guys. It's more Smash Brothers, guys. It's more Animal Crossing. These games haven't fundamentally changed in 20 years. I just have no expectations of like if they showed us this 
at this direct, then I do not have high hopes for them to like suddenly do something cool. Or if they do do a direct doo doo, um, it would be just like, here is how you explore the world of Hyrule. Follow Link as he faces off against his enemy Ganon, if, the Calamity Ganon, in the game The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom game on the Nintendo Switch console. Follow Link, the hero of Hyrule, as he saves Princess Zelda once again from the clutches of the wicked Ganondorf, coming to <laughs> Nintendo the- Switch on May 12th. <laughs> Dude, the copium I'm seeing on Twitter today about like, you know why the trailer was like that? It's because... Dude, the story is so mind-blowing, they can't even show us or else it'd be a spoiler. That's how fucking amazing it's going to be. I'm like, no, it's just going to be, be a first. more of the same fucking yeah, game. There's a kernel in there. No. Uh, there's a kernel of truth in there, which is like, for, spoiler, like I mean, no, 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 no. Like, I mean, personally, like, I would rather discover the stuff that they like shove down my throat in a lot of these directs where they handhold you through game mechanics on my own especially in a game like breath of the wild uh and so like in in that respect like i'm cool with it i just don't know why we need this trailer then if you're not going to show me shit chris have you been looking at the screenshots that they put on the uh (laughs) metroid prime store page yeah it i mean i looked at some of them it looks really pretty like that little encounter with the space pirate the lighting in that room just like looks so nice big fan scanning Talon Metroid, Parasite Queen looks beefy. The landscapes, you get some landscape shots. Oh yeah, some lighting, the cool, uh, the grappling beam on the left hand and the wrist. Yeah, I love that. Instead of the weird like top loaded thing. Oh yeah, this like screenshot of Flahagra looks great. Like the HUD looks nice and tasty. That's gonna be good. Did you get that pre-order locked in? I shared it the minute I saw that it went up. I appreciate you a lot, by the way. Um, I I can't get my my save payment information to like auto populate, so I have to get my I have to go get my debit card. Oh no! Put in my don't information. Do I have the sixteen numbers memorized? No, I know. I had to change all my cards out when I got my last name changed. But anyway, no, it'll be like literally as soon as we uh, get off this recording. So overall solid direct yeah i'm picking up a bunch of demos man there's so many demos that just came out yep downloading kirby for tiffany and i to play like literally as soon as i get off this call i'm i'm excited i need that gbgba oh yeah pry me away from hades for an evening (laughs) all i'm doing today is uh playing game boy advance after i edit this podcast just try it out you know yeah maybe this is the time uh where i actually go through and play more than like one and a half dungeons of Minish Cap. I believe in you. It's great. I'm not going to replay it because those games are just a lot to replay. And I'm trying to get back to Skyward Sword. And you know how it is. Yeah, I know. I totally get it. I am curious to see how the Game Boy uh, translates to a television. You never had the Super Game Boy? I have. But I mean, how do the screen filters translate to a TV? You know, that's a, a visually a very distinctly different thing playing Pokemon on your, you know, 19-inch CRT, which I definitely did. Versus the LCD and, like, the the, the ghosting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and because they have the filters. And the filters are delineated, like, so they have the palette swaps, which is a separate setting, and then they have a classic feel option, right? Where I don't know what all it does, but it, to me it's like, all right, we have the grid lines. It seems like the frame rate's different. It's got a sort of ghosty effect, but I don't know if that's just because the grid lines are like interfering with, with the pixels, and so it's like a, you know, an, an illusion. But like classic feel, 
you know okay yeah. if it, it feels good on the switch it uh, it uh i'm sure there'll be breakdowns of comparing one for one people will compare the analog that's inevitable to oh of course yeah you'll get the nvg video or the d- digital foundry video sure. comparing the and that's different- fine and, and this probably yeah. won't hold up to scrutiny but it feels right you know, it feels good when, you, when you're booting it up and you're playing a game. And again, I only had 15 minutes with it. I haven't tested Game Boy Advance. We'll see how, how those feel. But cool. Very cool. Uh, is that it, fellas? Are we done? I think that's it. I think that's, that's the it. console crusade. Stay tuned. We got a little Last of Us reaction coming after this. <laughs> Man, it feels like we have been here a lot lately. I can't escape you guys, man. It was four sessions or whatever we did to record the damn episode 100. And then I edited it, which was just like a week of just constantly listening to you two talk. And now I am literally just listening to it as I'm like doing chores throughout the day. Now that it's done, I'm just in its totality, taking it all in as it is. Man, console, crusade, Nick Durheim. What's up, buddy? Yes, we did record a five-hour podcast, <laughs> six-hour podcast. Six-hour podcast. <laughs> Closing on six hours. That was a lot. I'm eternally grateful for you and your ability to cut down what was a lot more than six hours of recording. Oh, so much down more. Down to <laughs> a brief, a brisk five-hour, 40 minutes or whatever it is. I think the first session we did, I was in my office with you guys. I know, Nick, we hung out a little bit later, but... I was here for six hours. That was one of four, right? We did four sessions for that podcast. Or is it three? Three, but you know. Yeah. So it was a lot of hours. Chris, Gilly, four. We're back to talk about The Last of Us. Episode four. And I just want to preface this before I get your thoughts about it, that we've had three phenomenal episodes. So just a good episode is almost a letdown. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was a, it was a letdown. And it, but it was going to be a letdown. There was no way that I think coming off of the like emotional high of episode three that we weren't going to be let down in some way and we and we got a quiet episode we got a setup episode and that's all right but it definitely was you know the the weakest i'm using air quotes for our listeners at home uh the weakest episode in a very fucking good show so like solid b plus episode uh maybe like b maybe not like a hard b plus something we had talked about last time you know because you had you had speculated that they would end this spoilers for the game it would end this episode with Joel, you know, after they have their encounter with the, uh, what you know, rogue group, what do they call them in the game? Ravagers or scavengers or just dicks on the street. He would get injured and we would transition to winter and it would be Ellie taking over. And I said, well, we need an episode where we see a little bit more development of their relationship. And we definitely got that in this episode. Nick, give me your thoughts about this BC line they introduced with some a named character. Was her name Kathleen? She was not in the game. Uh, you know, this this attempt with, with only five episodes left and over half the game to go to Last of Us 2, our enemies. The whole season has been a lot of setup and we haven't had a lot of the payoff yet. So it's hard to really evaluate the quality of the setup without having the payoff. This is about as far as I got in the game, storyline wise. So meeting, was it Henry and Sam? I was like, okay, that cliffhanger didn't really work on me i'm like i know they're just gonna be homies so like this doesn't work i don't care about this ending and then the sort of b plot of them being chased and having like this sort of in res introduction of this different character who is the 
like you said, putting a face to the the villains, even though I don't really see them. I mean, it's all conflict. It's all just people. I don't know. It's it's hard for me to really gauge whether or not that landed without having the the payoff. I I know this actress. I I think in a text thread I called her a B list actor. I just know her from Yellow Jackets. Right. That's what everyone was sort of talking about online. This is more a testament to the people in the show when you have nothing but world class performances, and then you get this like really forced sort of one note it kind of felt like someone just sort of wandered on set and they let her do the lines (laughs) and after how awesome like we haven't had a lot of characters obviously we had the bottle episode with with frank and bill and then we had tess who was incredible in her role and other than that we haven't had a lot of facetime with named characters even marlene i think did a great job too Yeah, yeah in her in her limited role but chris what did you think about I call it, they're trying to last of us to the bad guys of this game and of this show, but I think we probably feel similarly. We do. I call it saying that they're last of us toing these villains just by like giving a name to the leader, I think is a little bit of a, a little bit of a leap of logic for they're me. They're trying to set up this, you know, we're trying to find my brother or whoever they're trying to find because they're trying to find the two kids and they're... No, EJ can't help but, but load his, his opinion with a negative opinion of something else that you like, Chris. Just let him have this. He's trying to last Jedi it or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it just really breaks to mind Ryan Johnson's work on the uh, divisive middle installment of the uh, sequel trilogy. No, um, <laughs> listen, listen. I'm just trying to say, as as far as it pertains to Ellie and Joel's story, this show, I don't need to know who the villain's name is. The villains, they're just ravagers. They're just rogue agents living in this hellscape. I don't need to know that this fucking doctor gave up this woman's brother. And now they're trying to find the other two characters who it's going to tie in with. They run into Sam and Henry as they're escaping this rogue group. I don't need to go into this. And with only five episodes left to like, either they're going to seed this plot that goes nowhere. And now we have spent time with characters that again, don't really matter to the plot and the, the end game of the story. Or we're going to waste a bunch of time doing things with people we don't care about and actors who aren't very good relative to the people we love in the show. So oh, we got to empathize the villains. Okay. I don't think that's what the, the function of, of these people is at all. I don't think that's their function at all. And Melanie Linsky's performance as, as Kathleen uh, was not good. It, it, it's, 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 it's weird. Honestly, that's like a kind of a weak word to use because it's non-specific, but I'm just sort of like, you're leading these people. Like who, how did that happen? Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's just, it's just a strange casting choice. And I, I, I'm almost wondering if that's sort of the point, if next episode that we're going to be like, oh, she clearly had like a really tenuous grasp on this group. Their only sort of motivating purpose seems to be to find Henry because Henry has done something to wrong them. Yeah. It seems like maybe what they're trying to do, like to give them the strongest benefit of the doubt is that like, this is a role that she is not earned, but perhaps it is like her brother's role was being the leader of this sort of QZ gone to the people. Right. Like it it was some sort of like overthrowing of Fedra and now they run this town and it seems like she does not have the gravitas and I don't think she's really trying to, but it's weird from, it's weird to have that be our establishing moment with the character. It's not interesting. Like it has to be interesting if I try to make it interesting, but that doesn't make for good storytelling. It helps that we spent like maybe 
maybe 10 minutes with them total, which was nice. But I think the whole function of the whole function of these people is twofold. It's running from the bad guys is great in a video game where everything is a nameless, faceless bullet sack. But in a show, I think we need to get the lay of the land a little bit more. And I, so I think that that's, that's the primary function. Number one is that they're giving us a sense of like, this is the situation that our protagonists have walked into. Cause I don't think that for an HBO, like prestige drama, just to be like nameless, faceless bad guys. And now we're meeting some people that we have no reason why, why they're running away from anybody. Like that's all been, that's all been laid out for us. It makes more sense to me. And two, and I'm sure we were going to talk about this uh, eventually anyway, is that they're setting up the bloater. When we got into the basement, it's cracked, it's sunken, and there's stuff like pushing. And I went, there it is. That's how we're getting the bloater. Fun fact, Jeffrey Pierce, who played her right-hand man, is Tommy, the voice actor of Tommy. That's very cool. You know, when we can sneak in those Easter eggs, um, that's fun. That's fun for the, the the people who are in the know. But yeah, I think my, my issue with it was, again, it was this crash course of backstory that was just not very relevant to how I wanted or how I could have related to this character who, yeah, I understand that putting a face to a name, but like we could have like been in their camp and we could have like seen these interactions. You know, it's it's show don't tell. Right. And they just, sure. They open on the scene and they're telling us essentially it's an exposition dump is, is yeah. We're trying to figure out who are these people and they're looking for the same people that we know we're going to run into. So it's just like, it was an unnecessary connection to these characters who are about to meet at the end. And I think that the pseudo cliffhanger would have been probably more interesting if we didn't like, obviously we know, but the expectation that like they're hunting two sets of people right now, you know what I mean? Cause it, when they found the, the attic with the food and oh, they're Henry's not going to let Sam or vice versa, everyone's sort of in the same clusterfuck here, but it was too much. Just like, I, who are, who are you? And like Sarah even looked at me, she's like, what is this? Who is that? What, her brother, what is, what is going on? I'm like, I don't fucking know who this character is. I was like, Am I forgetting something from the game? I don't think so. I do think the ending was a really weak sort of way to have a finale of this episode because they could have made the psych setup of this introduced character, this like (laughs) fanfic character that they have in the HBO show. They could have had that make more sense if they actually like hung out and talked with Henry and Sam and then have like, you know, 15 minutes where they're, they're plotting their next move. Because in the game, I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it in the show, but like in the game, one of them has been injured or bit or whatever. And that's like the reveal before the night that they do their their grand escape. And that's like, that's where I stopped. So that makes sense for a good stopping point for like an episode to have that be the cliffhanger as opposed to, but I guess they already kind of did that with Tess. So they can't keep banging that drum either. That can't just be the, the thing that they end episodes on. So I don't know. I mean, it's it was just, it was weird to end with. Sam and Henry in that way. I guess my concern, like when I, when I'm evaluating the episode and we're just looking at that particular plot thread, I'm concerned like, Oh my God, are we going to follow these people for another episode or like, do we care? I don't care. It it makes sense to establish like now we have a common enemy between Henry and Sam. And that's why they become this reluctant partnership as they're both trying to escape the same people in this little compound essentially. So it's like, all right, that makes sense. Why I'm forced to trust this person. We have a common enemy. Uh, I just don't love how they did it, and I'm I'm worried. I am constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's just you, though, with with media. Yes, it is. I know. That's <laughs> I, is there? Am I overreacting to the idea that we might be going down a kind of a scary rabbit yes. hole? 
Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, but I get it. And but I also don't think that we're gonna we're, we're the next episode we're we're leaving Kansas City. There's just not fucking time. There's not we time. Like we have to do Joel's injury. We have to do the winter. We have to do the uh, left behind bottle episode, which maybe will be interwoven into winter when Ellie's by herself. Cause there are shots of the trailer of left behind. So like we're going to see it this season. Uh, and then we have to get to the lab. And so, I mean, that, that that's like four episodes right there. <laughs> right. And, and this is just pure speculation, but like there was a thread going around about how they have, they may have casted Abby for the last of us part two. I'm glad you brought that up in my eyes. And I don't know how, how they could do this given the time constraints and not having known that they were going to be doing an episode or a season two or season two, a B like, I don't want to do what the game did where we meet this character and then we have this flashback and it's like, surprise, she's the daughter of the guy Joel killed at this part of the game. Like, do we see Abby or at least get to know her father a little bit? Yeah, we're going to see her guaranteed. I, I almost would think that that's going to be maybe the bottle episode we get that we didn't think we were going to get Great. left behind gets like interwoven. And then we get this. Who are these people? And then like smash cut to Joel bringing Ellie into the lab. And that's the end of the episode before the finale. Like, I think it could even be instead of like a full on bottle episode, it could be like a, one of the cold opens, you know, like this little like guy having a dog because how old I mean, they could obviously change ages, but is Abby just like a little bit older than Ellie? So she's also been raised in this post apocalypse world. So they could have a sort of bottle episode of the doctor and like raising a daughter and like that be the first like 10 minutes of an episode. And then, you know, cut to him either putting Ellie to sleep to be worked on or if they change anything where they actually ask her for her consent or anything like that. Like who knows how they play that out because that is a thing that they could really uh, change the intention of the characters if they wanted to. Totally. I think just thematically, if you're looking at like in a vacuum, a single episode doing a, a cold open on, we just see interaction between a father and daughter. Like you said, the audience isn't even going to really question that too much. Like, like those, like who are these people? But thematically it will have made sense. And I'm sure that if they do that, we'll have ended on something that the cold open is going to mirror in some way. And then it's the reveal at the end that, Oh, that's the doctor. And, and of course, if you don't know the game, you just think like, Oh, okay. We saw the doctor and his daughter. Now we're, re we're connecting those dots now that Joel and the doctor are talking and we don't yet know what the twist is with the, you know, he's going to turn and, and kill these people. And, like, it would totally make sense to do that. And if we don't do that, I'm going to be disappointed. And this is the problem, guys. The problem with expectations. Week to week, I'm sitting here crafting these goddamn fan theories and reading these fan theories. And now I'm like, if they don't do that, they're, they're fucking insane. That's the only way this can go. And we're running out of time. We got to get this man some more gig work so that he's just not sitting at home all day with the motor turning. Enjoying things is so stressful, guys. It's a big old huff of copium. Jesus oh Christ. God. No, I mean, I, I do. I feel it because I cannot help in my own, like, you know, creator's imagination. Think about, oh, they could do it this way. They could do it this way. They could do it this way. Ultimately, I think the only mistake would be to not have us see Abby in this season. Just because it, I, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Like fans of the show, fans of the games would be like, DiCaprio meme pointing at the TV. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think there's a fairly good chance that they don't like full on reveal a character's face. Like you might get like a behind the head shot of the daughter seeing yeah. her father's body. 
and that be like one of the ending scenes in that location or of the season because I think they want to keep their options open for casting for season two. There is speculation that she has already been cast. Yeah, Druckmann like liked her, like a sub liked her, followed her Instagram page or something, and she looks like just like the character model for Abby. Anyway, that's of course like completely rabbit hole. Like Neil Druckmann follows this actor and is liking these posts about The Last of Us. He has to be in it. Yeah, it's a Charlie Day with a a cork board covered in yarn. (laughs) 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 You guys both pose. That is great. Visual gag, guys. Uh, Okay, Nick, the stuff I want to bring up, you had asked last week about, like, what's the point of, like, showing us with the clicker in the basement uh, in the last episode? And and I said that they're they're threading these things, these moments where you're like, gosh, she's a little bit of a sociopath. She's got this sort of, like, weird curiosity about, like, some fucked up dark shit. And we see a lot more of that in this episode at the beginning. uh, And then, obviously, she, she... you know, kills or she shoots the guy who's who's going to kill Joel, and and we and we have a little bit of payoff to like that morbid curiosity. Do you still feel like maybe they're leaning too hard into like 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 Ellie in the game was maybe this angsty sort of obviously she has this aggression and this emotion, but she is this scared little child. So far with Ellie in the show, it seems maybe like oh God, everything we've seen from her is either quips or like kind of freako status. For my context in the game. I never got to the point where Ellie felt like a character. She was always just kind of the AI thing that was running around telling stupid jokes, which that works in like an, uh, a video game because it's clearly a more animated medium and you have a, as a player character have more agency and the depth of the story needed like some sort of lightness to it. And we even see that in this episode where they, they have the porno mag in the truck and that kind of stuff. Right from the game. I've liked that the the game callbacks, like the one for ones, exist, but they aren't like they aren't going too hard on it. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. Uh but no, I liked this um this episode sort of betrayal of Ellie and how she has clearly gone through some fucked up shit and she like alludes to it to Joel and perfectly mirrors him, you know, saying, I don't want to talk about it. Like that's a total her like digging at him, like you're going to be a dick and not talk to me. I'm not going to talk to you either about my shit. So I, I thought that was really well done. And like the scene of her, like breaking down, and like wiping away her tears and being like unhappy with herself for crying is like also a really good bit of acting. And I liked that a lot. Totally belittles the ability of other actors in that episode. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh God. She's so good. Like, and it really did pay off a lot of that sort of like, she's, she, She's not really the tough, the tough girl. She's the girl who wants to believe she's tough because she has gone through some stuff. And that's, I think, recontextualized the scene with with the clicker of her, like cutting the head and being like, I have power over you. And I never did before. But then when it's a human being and she shoots him like she doesn't know how to handle. I mean, that whole scene is like it's an amazing, amazing piece of work with her of struggling with like listening to him and listening to Joel and then deciding, no, I'm, I'm going to listen to Joel uh, yeah, dealing with the fallout, hearing him stab Joel, stab the guy with his own knife, like just in the other room, like right across from there that she's not really ready yet, but this is moving her in the direction of being ready for everything that is, uh, that is to come. And of course they're bonding. I mean, God, like we mentioned it really briefly, but that was like some of the highlights of the episode. Like, <laughs> what are we eating? 20 year old chef Boyardee ravioli tastes good. I agree. And <laughs> just like a little <laughs> yeah. moment of like, yeah. And the joke books, like fucking hell, like played them just 
just fucking perfectly, like right, right in the zone of, I don't know, like I bought every, I bought, I bought everything she was selling yesterday. To, to continue on this point, like you see her at the beginning with the gun and the way she's like, yeah, it's like a power thing. She's fascinated by this. She's pointing at the mirror and she's like, yeah, like she takes, she pops a bullet out of the chamber and she starts clicking the thing. And it's just like, ah, you unsettle me. But, but you understand where it's coming from. The more you learn about her backstory and, and, and like you said, the, alluding to the things she's been through. But one of my favorite moments in the episode from Pedro Pascal was the first time Ellie whipped out the joke book. Pedro Pascal's performance here, again, so subtle, so brilliant. The way there's a moment that I read as him like flashing back to Sarah. He's having this, you know, this moment of levity with this daughter figure who he doesn't think of as a daughter. But in that moment, that sort of broke through and you see it on his face and he says, no. You thought he was going to maybe snap and be like, I- I'm not doing this. You can't throw that joke book away. But then he very subtly and very quickly transitions to it just being like, you can wait over there. And it kind of becomes a ha-ha moment. But there's that brief flash where you, you're you like, oh my God, he's thinking about Sarah right now. And he's he's about to like, get the fuck away from me kind of moment. And instead he internalizes it. He lets it go. He makes, not a joke, but to audience it plays as a joke. Like you could wait over there or whatever he says. And I'm like, that was such a great little moment that, I don't even know how intentional it was, but that's how I read every beat of that scene. I totally think you're right. Cause they even do like the three part, you know, the hook, line and sinker. They, they do that first bit where he says, no, go wait over there. He does the no sell where he just doesn't react to it at all at night. And then finally he throws back his own bad dad joke. Right. For the, for the, the night before everything going upside down. Right. It's a great little arc showing them get a little closer, but in the first episode or the first uh, podcast we did, breaking these these episodes down, I was kind of like, you know, Pedro Pascal is a little one note, but he had this moment, and the more I'm seeing of him, the more that it's like, all right, this is Pedro Pascal, but he shines in those little moments, those subtle, the 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 subtle physicality, uh, facial emotion. He doesn't have to say a lot to like to 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 read this whole spectrum of like what this man is going through. And he's supposed to be the stoic emotionless character that's joel uh but be able to take that and do so much with that mike that pedro pascal fucks dude i love that guy he does he's he's he is absolutely crushing it he is absolutely crushing it i mean like yeah like micro facial expressions that like you you could only catch having a camera like shoved right in your face but like that's the real shit like that's the real shit that all like all of human communication is based off of is us like reading those things because we're a camera's length away from each other. A lot of the time we're communicating with each other. Yeah, he's he's on fire. Another thing that I appreciate about the pacing of the show so far is in how they are delivering their world building and trickling these different details about like you watch the something like The Walking Dead. You kind of know the setup. There's not a lot to be revealed about how the world works and and who operates within it. Of course, even as someone who knows how this world works, having played both games, seeing, you know, when they, the shock when they see the QZ is is abandoned and then being in these boarded up buildings and seeing like, you know, the, the, the paintings that, or the drawings that the kid did in the attic and these people are like living, living like this. And it's just, you, you know it in the back of your mind, but when you see it like that and you realize like, dude, this world fucking sucks. 
and they never do it in a way that is slaps you in the face and and is like have emotions about how awful things are. It's these little moments, and you just think like, dude, this is heartbreaking. They're always showing you something that is either unsettling or or heartbreaking about this world, and then they just move right on from it. Here I am, like this episode wasn't very good. <laughs> it was like this episode. There's a lot to love about it. It's the worst out of four really good episodes of TV, but. That's uh, like I said, this is a setup episode. There's been a lot yeah. of setup in other episodes, but there's been enough like payoff within those to to justify it. But this one just sort of ended weirdly. I'd be curious to hear from someone who hadn't played the game up to this point. And I think it'll be valuable, Nick, as we go forward to like have your perspective now that I mean, you know, broad strokes what happens, but now you don't know, you know, this is where you stopped playing essentially. Yeah, I don't have firsthand experience, but I do know exactly what happens in the game. So, did you watch like a long play, or did you just read a recap? You're not a YouTube guy. You didn't watch a long play as someone play this game. I'm not gonna watch someone play The Last of Us. That's like the weirdest secondhand enjoyment of of a game I could imagine. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. <laughs> Craig Mazin said, apparently, I didn't listen to it. My buddy was telling me in the uh, podcast for this week's episode that. Um, this is a direct quote from him. I guarantee if you played this game 100 times, you are going to be startled for the rest of the show. Whenever he says things, I get worried. Just shut up and make your thing, man. We got five episodes. Just get ready to get your expectations subverted. <sighs> man, <laughs> I brought it up about how there are these little pockets where it says, is this, is this indicative of a guy who just wants to put his own stamp on it as an artist and prioritizes that above like storytelling. But then every time I have a thought like that, another moment happens. We're like, all right, we're good. We're in the pocket here. This is, this is where we need to be. I'm worried. I mean, I think that's like the, that's the balance. That's the, that's the goal of a good adaptation. You want to be able to be comfortable, but also bring something new to the table or else what's the point besides marketing? Like, yeah, the, the, the part one is selling really well because this TV show is marketing for the $70 product. But it can't only be that HBO also wants to have a great show to bring subscribers onto their service. So it has to be, you know, likable. Creators have just a really bad and dumb way of talking about the things they made. Yes, can confirm. experience. <laughs> I mean, they're selling something, right? Like, and when it comes to an adaptation like this, he doesn't want whether or not we're shocked, you know, is sort of beside the point. But, you know, Craig is selling the idea that we have made enough changes that you will not be able to just go, okay, 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 for five more episodes. Yeah, because the podcast is also, you know, a marketing tool for the show, which is a marketing tool for the game. I mean, it's all marketing. So it's funny, but imagine if he went on this podcast and was like, People who have played the game, it's a lot like that. <laughs> it's, it's just, it, why even broach the subject? Like, obviously, if I'm listening to episode four of an insider podcast of a direct-to-stream television series, I'm watching the rest of the fucking show. You don't need to sell me on, oh, it's got to be just like the game, but different. Oh, now I'm interested. Like, I'm clearly hooked, okay? Just, just stick the landing. Reel me in. Cook me up. It's for stupid people, okay? It's for the tiny vocal subset that's like, well, I could just play the game if I want to experience the story. Oh, fuck like, those people. No, fuck them seriously, but you have to cater to the lowest common denominator in marketing. Like, 
I don't think those people are listening to the podcast either. Yeah. At that point, EJ is like totally right. And it's like just masturbatory, but it's also enough to get someone like him who's worried about everything to be worried about something, which is also, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing that man could say that would make EJ be like, oh, I trust this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Were there any other moments for either of you? And Chris, I'll start with you that, that stick out to you as being uh, uh, something you particularly enjoyed or did not enjoy or anything that we didn't touch on. I mean, this was still an hour long, right? There's still a lot of TV. The action, exquisite. Uh, I mean, you just mentioned that the, the action, which I agree was, was well done, that it, it sat in the good uh, realm of we're being a little disoriented because the characters are disoriented, but ultimately it's like, not uh, like a gestalt action where there's just a bunch of shit happening and like we could follow whoever we want. It was clear, like cause and effect. I need to take out that guy who's got cover behind the car. I need to take out that guy. And then, oh shit, the third guy got in. Fuck. Now what do I do? Uh, I loved when they are setting up camp and they're trying to sleep and it's after the, uh, the scarecrow joke, which was nice. Um, Ellie giving respect to, you know, Papa Joel for the pun game. Uh, but Joel, Joel trying to sleep and not, not being able to sleep. And then the next shot, we see him standing guard in the night. And then the next shot we cut to morning and he's, you know, the coffee's on and, and Ellie's waking up again. I thought that was a really, really nice, just little way with like maybe 45 seconds to 60 seconds of airtime to just make us go, is he doing that just because he's supposed to keep her alive or is he doing that because he's genuinely worried for her safety? And I love that. And I thought it set up a lot of the stuff that preceded of like, okay, let's give you some gun safety. This is how you hold it. And Ellie like giggling and being like, oh my God, like I'm learning. This is great. Yeah. I love that little moment. Just to piggyback off of what you said is I liked how it was so effortless and in character. Like it didn't feel like, oh, this is like a ham fisted way for Joel to explain world building stuff or to right uh, have his character grow in his relationship towards ellie it was just like no this is just what joel would do and he did that they don't talk about it after that it's just a scene that happens it's just him that did this thing for himself and for the audience so that was nice uh scene that happened later that i liked a lot was uh Lindsay and i like to make popcorn while we're watching and then inevitably because we put too much uh butter and like seasoning on the popcorn we have to pause the episode so we can actually wash our hands and like get (laughs) get a little floss pick and get some of that out so we had paused and it was when they're um holed up in the hotel i believe like they're just sort of setting up shop and they're about to have a tender conversation and we were talking like what do you think they're going to talk about is joel going to apologize is he going to thank her and i said i think he's going to awkwardly like try to console her for her brutally maiming this man. And Lindsay thought that uh, he was going to thank her. And it turned out it was like half of an apology and half of an awkward consolation. He'd already shown a little bit of that vulnerability earlier when he had said like it, you shouldn't have to do these things. Like you're so young, like that's, that's terrible that you have to go through with this. And she asked like, does it get easier when you get older? And he says, no. And that was like a bit of vulnerability, not like implicitly, but like explicitly. He said so. He said that it's always hard on him, too. So I, I just like that was thought that was a good scene. Was it the beginning of episode two or was that episode three where? Yeah, it was right after Tess has died and 
they have that interaction where Joel, like you think Joel's going to say something to Ellie, but then she like snaps at him. is like, I'm not going to apologize for something I didn't do. Like I'm not the cause of Tess's death. And there's this sort of tension between them that is so real that you can, like everyone's had that sort of confrontation where it's not, you know, a shouting match. It's not something that's like written down. It's not clean. They just sold it really well. And I think the writing for the show is like, it's punching above its weight in a lot of ways based on the source material, which is very like wrote and like by the numbers. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's high drama, which a lot of high drama is like, it's Shakespearean, you know, it's, it's exactly what you expect because that's what good storytelling is. You have to hit those expectations. You have to play with them sometimes, but there's an A to B to C and people like that. People like to know what's going to happen and to have that expectation. And then when it finally hits, it's like, that's the payoff. Like that's what brings joy and even like a sad story. But I think they're doing a really good job sort of adding a little bit of humanity and making it a little bit messier. I was just thinking the same thing that like they've written human beings is the fact of it in, in all their like messy multitudes and our inability to communicate. And if that's the circumstances that these people have come up in, you know, Joel and, and Ellie respectively, uh, it makes perfect sense that, you know, Ellie's using humor as a, as a coping mechanism to sort of wall off all of the things she's experienced and presumably having like killed her first love and left behind. I didn't play left behind, but I'm assuming that that's the person that she had to kill. Um, and Joel, of course, you know, his, his trauma is well documented, but that's how those people would communicate with each other. I mean, I mean like that is, and then it makes for great, like uh, a great place in the narrative of this whole season that like little cracks come through, but they would not be able to connect on a level that is any deeper than this at this point so far. And just, I can't wait to see what, what I cannot wait to see what Pedro Pascal does with the last episode of this, of this season. Like I literally cannot wait to see what he does with the last episode of the season. It depends on how they do this, this like rogue bandit plot, which I think I'm hoping is just, was just a weird little sidestep and we don't necessarily have to spend too much more time with them other than uh, uh, the escape. But we need to show Ellie being competent sans Joel. She'll need to do something. But is it going to be taking on a group of cannibals who are trying to make her the child wife? <laughs> oh, God, of course they're going to do it. I mean, that would be a real kick. In the, that <laughs> would course. be a real. It's one of the best sections of that game. And like the end. Do you remember how that section ends of like Joel coming in and Ellie just sobbing and Joel holding her to say, OK, baby girl, it's OK, baby girl, it's OK, baby girl. Same as it was there. Of fucking course they're going to do it. Of course they're going to do it. But I don't think it'll, I think it'll be way more, um, how do I say this? Uh, way more uh, dinner table in Resident Tasteful? Evil. No, no, Oh, that's fucked. And I love it. Um, no, I was going to say way more, more Hannibal, more dinner table in the beginning of Resident Evil 7 than a cover shooting section. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, she's tied up and they're like, passing around some mystery meat and we're hearing whoever plays the cannibal like clearly allude to the fact that that's people on the plate i think that's where how they how they tweak that and then at least like fuck this see that to me seems a little rote like we've seen that that's the setup and reveal we get when we're dealing with cannibals so i don't know i, I will be we'll be curious to see how how it plays out i uh man you started talking about the end of that scene with uh, and you just see how the relationship has grown in that moment. It's so yep. emotional. I am going to just lose my shit 
seeing the callback to to him holding Sarah, like you said. No, I'm just... I'm ready to I'm ready to cry big manly tears as soon as Pedro Pascal is crying big manly tears. Oh, oh yeah, I anticipate <laughs> and look forward to that moment in this season. Like you know, it's gonna happen. It's gonna be great. And I bet that is episode eight. They could just name the episode Catharsis and just like <laughs> let us all have it. Eighty-five to ninety-minute finale. I imagine the last two episodes will be quite a bit longer, but yeah, that penultimate episode is usually. You know, we're, we're going to get Ozymandiast. You know, things are going to pop off and it's going to be this <laughs> emotional crescendo. And we are all going to be in the group chat immediately. Just like, kill me. <laughs> yeah. We have to do this one more week. So I am eagerly anticipating that. And we get an episode Friday. We get an episode in four days because of the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, really? Yeah, it's airing Friday. I instead didn't of Sunday. That. They don't want to compete. I mean, I'm gone all weekend. I'm going to have to wait till Sunday to watch it anyway. Fuck. We'll have to make our own group chat to talk about it without you. (laughs) Fuck you, EJ. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I agree. Fuck me. But this is one of those things where like, you know, Sarah and I like having a show together. And once you sort of break the seal of like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like watch an episode without you. It's just never the same again. You know? Yeah. Can't do that. (laughs) Can't do that. Episode five out of nine. I mean, that's, that's, Dangerous business. It's hard to come back from, you know? It is. You get 10 days to recover, though. See, that's what I don't like. This is like, remember we had that run of Star Wars movies every fucking year, and then it was like five months until Solo, and then six months until, and then it was just like, now you have to wait three years. Not that the waits ended up mattering because it was all trash anyway, but. Look, I know this is the worst episode we've had so far, but to compare it to Solo, that's. You know what's funny? If you were about to defend that movie after literal years of our lives being spent warring about the the merits of the last Jedi. If if you were going to heap like one iota of praise on that absolute shit stain of a feature film, that's, that's it. That's it. We're out. <laughs> we're on the outs. <laughs> it is one of the more uh, appreciated star Wars films of the last eight years. And even though it made like the least amount of money, I didn't love it. I like that Lando fucks robots. That was a fun little bit of world building. <laughs> why good. did we need that? Why did we need, why did we need any of that? Like Josh and I saw that movie together and Josh was like out of his gourd high, which was probably the right way to see that. And then it literally gets to the part. We were literally like turning to each other and laughing through this entire fucking movie. We was like, Han, what's the last name? Uh, I don't have a last name. Hmm. And I went, no, out loud. He goes, so low. And Josh and I look at each other and just explode into laughter. Like, there's no way. That is what literally one of the most worst movies I've ever seen in a movie theater. That's hilarious. I, I listen, I'm not gonna defend the movie. I'm not going to. But uh it's just another wonderful insight into I I don't I call you the contrarian, but Solo seemed primed to, to to have Chris's love. So sometimes, listen, even a stop clock is right twice a day. A clock that's 10 minutes fast is never right. And that's our show, ladies and gentlemen, Console Crusade Podcast. I'm Chris <laughs> Gillyford. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Oh, guys, I love this show. I love this podcast. You guys, yeah. I like you guys. You guys are all right.